0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: How's it going? Welcome to episode 92 of On The Wire, proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Follow the pod on the Twitter at OnTheWirePod. Of course, if you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, please take a second to let us know what you think. I am Adam Howe. You can follow me on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. I am once again joined by Kevin Hastings, who should be followed on the Twitter at Hasting. I don't know what to say here. <laughs> it's been a while for us we did back-to-back episodes last week and then we we didn't do our normal sunday we, we instead we published on friday and now we're back here publishing our normal sunday but that means it's been like i don't know feels three weeks but i know it's only been like eight or nine days but the amount of stuff that we have to talk about today makes me feel like it's been over a month since we've talked last how are you keeping up with everything
2: Oh, it's been great. Just like we talked last episode, even though it seems like it's been forever ago, having a quote, normal, normal. Yes. Has has been absolutely amazing. And uh, it hasn't been normal. It's I think we're going to be spoiled by this because this isn't how it's going to be every year going forward. I don't think I think we're catching up over the last two or three years. And there's a lot going on. I know we'll have just as many free agents. I know we'll have trades going on in in future years. But I think that we're seeing more than the normal I was talking about. But it's great. It's absolutely amazing getting up every morning and checking out what's going on, what we missed, catching some things late at night, and then seeing other people react to it the next morning if they were already sleeping or tuned out for Mm -hmm. the evening. It's been absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. This this isn't normal. Like this, we talked about it last episode. It's like you don't see this. I don't remember seeing this many signings during the winter meetings or right after the winter before the new year flips over. They trickle throughout the offseason. That was always the big complaint about right. baseball offseason. It's and like a sl- it was a slow burn. This is anything but.
2: The big ticket guys. Uh, yes, they wait. They usually wait. And then other guys the next tier, the teams wait on before they settle for them. So yeah, it's been amazing that all this is going on and we're still at (laughs) mid-December.
1: So much has already happened. Is there some kind of like tax policy that switches over in 2023 that I don't know about? Some federal tax policy (laughs) that changes that they want to make sure they get these contracts? I don't know. Either way, I'm happy to talk about it. (laughs) Exactly. remember uh, there
3: was a lockout last year
1: that was exciting as well we knew so, that was going to happen last year yeah, it's so like the, we knew it was going to be just yeah. like floodgates opening as soon as the lockout ended and we had so much to talk about in such a short period of time like we do right now we were um, starved
3: at this point though last year we were just waiting yeah. we were just hoping that's the <laughs> that thing I think, I think it feels a little better it's like we're getting news in december it's not waiting until march
1: it's true it's true like it, it, this one i don't know if it caught us off guard per se but like it's definitely different than last year because we knew like exactly when it was going to start happening. Here it's just like like Kevin, like you said, it's like you wake up and it's whoa, okay, this is what I missed from the day before, or it's trickling in throughout the course of the evening at all hours. And for you, Kevin, of course, really is at all hours. <laughs> all right. Well, like I said, we have a lot to talk about, and as you guys already heard, we have a, a great guest that's going to help us break it all down today. Welcome to the show, Will Garofalo. He's can be followed on the Twitter at WGaruffalo2. There'll be a link in the show description for that. If you're not following him already, what are you doing? Make sure you do that. And when Will's not in a draft room like most of us, you can also find him working directly in baseball for the Arizona Diamondbacks, their high A affiliate, the Hillsborough Hops. Will, you can fill us in a little bit more about what you do there a little bit later, but you can also find Will's written work over here at pitcherless.com. He's also dabbed alongside SP Streamer for a time in the past as well. We're going to talk with will about some adp movers in the early draft season as we have all experienced before we get into that Will, man thanks for uh thanks for coming on with us
3: what's up fellas yeah thank you for having me it's a pleasure and uh, i'm looking forward to breaking it all down we got a lot to talk about
1: yeah so i alluded to it tell us what would you do what would you say you do here moment what do you, what do, you do with the with arizona
3: yeah, with the Arizona, I run their TrackMan system and the High A Hillsboro. All their home games, we're tracking the data, make sure it's all crisp and clean, and then sending that out to the team so they can keep track of how all their guys are doing. It's fun stuff. I've been doing it for two years. It's a blessing to show up at the ballpark and watch a game and play, just a small role in the organization. Super grateful for that. It's been a lot of fun.
1: That is that's awesome. I yeah. had the luxury. Oh, I don't know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago now of working for the high A affiliate of the Blue Jays down in just as like an intern. And at that time that they did. I don't know if they have it now, but they definitely didn't have TrackMan or yeah. anything like that. So I was not asked to do any of that. I was mostly in the mascot suit. Hey. And in Dunedin, Florida, in the mascot suit that doesn't have the little fan in the back of the head, it was not pleasant. Ooh. Luckily, I only had to do that. There were three of us, so we had to so we got to rotate. So I only had to do like a third of the games.
3: There you go. That was hot. You were sweating through <laughs> it, huh? It was huh? awful. Oh, man. Yeah. Not so an
1: experience. I... I- want to get to anybody
3: <laughs> yeah I was an intern with the hops in the 2015 the year Dansby Swanson was there and I they a couple times a hey, mascot didn't show up you guys got to hop in so a couple innings yeah you just got to go have fun oh, I
1: thought you were going to say that they made Dansby Swanson get in there. oh but it's fine as, as
3: the mascot you're walking underneath the tunnel and everything so when you're going to get all set up and everything, a couple of times he walked by, oh, what's up? He he makes crazy plays. He was doing it back then. I gave him some love for that. But like last year, we saw Julio Rodriguez and Corbin Carroll. So just dudes that are just popping off the field, you're not going to be here long. So it's been fun to watch Julio really develop.
1: Yeah, in that short period of time that, yeah, you get to see him, you soak it all in. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, we have a lot going on in the last week or so at the major league level. And that's what we're here to talk about. So let's get into it. Will, I'm going to start you off with the uh, the softball, if you will, the biggest one of them all. I'm going to start off here with three different Carloses. We'll start with Carlos Correa. He, of course, signs a 13-year deal to basically end his career in San Francisco. To simply put, does the park factor going to San Francisco, he spent a year in Minnesota, he spent some obviously his early career in Houston, more more so hitter-friendly environment San Francisco, not so much, at least historically. Do these park factors in San Francisco scare you away from him in a first year of a major contract?
3: Yeah, so I I went ahead and looked it up just to take a look because I feel like that is the perception. And I was surprised only in 2022, San Francisco ranks ninth in park factor. So actually maybe not as bad as we once thought it was. And for right-handed hitters, it's sixth. So maybe, and you compare that with target field, you're looking at 18th and 22. Maybe getting a little bit of a boost. I probably wouldn't put that in the projection. I'd let that just be the icing on top. But I don't see his num- power numbers dropping at all. You're talking about a masher at the plate. You got elite exit velocities one fourteen point six last year. That's ninety six percentile. So he hits the cover off the ball. I think that plays in any park. He barrel his barrel percentage is almost double what LB league averages at eleven point four, league average is six point seven. So I think the profile plays anywhere. I'm not worried. I'm still drafting. He's coming at a discount, in my opinion. The bat should be going higher, but he doesn't steal bases and at a position that a lot of people steal bases at shortstop. So I think that's why you see the ADP about 125. So I don't have any concerns. I'll keep drafting. I hope that he doesn't get pushed up too much. But if he gets pushed up to Willie Adamas level, I'll go with Willie Adamas there. But I still love Carlos Correa. I think bat's legit.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I know you mean the, the right-handed hitters. Spending time in the Bay Area, I went to more than my fair share of Giants games, and it was very rare to see anybody hit the ball into McCovey Cove over that right field wall. Usually worked the same way as the Green Monster in Fenway. It's like you saw a lot of balls go off of it if you're going oppo or whatnot for a right-hander, but they have a little ticker. They got like a, a counter on the wall for all the times anybody actually hits McCovey Cove directly without bouncing it over and I'm pretty sure it only had two digits on it because they never expected it to go to triple digits I could be wrong it could be triple digits but it was a pretty low counter back back when I was going to there. runs tracker right exactly yeah but they keep tracking because pretty much the only one hitting McCovey Cove on a regular basis yeah so (laughs) we'll
3: see if he's going opposite field and hitting balls that should be home runs that are now doubles that's not ideal Kevin what do you think you in on him
2: I think so. As far as runs, San Francisco played much better than Minnesota as mm-hmm. far as ballparks go, as far as runs being scored. is, But it is lower on home runs. Yeah. Speaking of McCovey Cove, I read recently, I think it was probably on Twitter, and so I hope it's correct. But I did read <laughs> this, that there still has not been a right-handed hitter put one in McCovey Cove on the fly. That has not
1: happened yet. Oh, man, that yeah. seems... Almost impossible. That's why we needed Aaron Judge to go
2: there. Yeah. (laughs) So it could finally happen. But no, I think Correa's power typically is no doubt power when he does get a hold of one. It's going out of pretty much any ballpark. And with the boost in the run scoring environment, this could be a slight upgrade. And I think if anything, I know typically these guys can sign anywhere and they get an ADP boost but as far as landing spots for korea going to san francisco isn't going to excite anybody so the right. boost is going to be minimal if not non-existent and so yeah. i and he's probably got a little bit of a boost here as far as run scoring environment which where he's going to hit in the order means more runs and more rbi so right. I like this because I don't think we'll get a drop in the home runs, but he's low 20s home runs now yeah. anyway. They'll still be there, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I would venture to guess that the Giants lineup gets better over the next couple of years as well with him being a centerpiece. So I'd actually probably be more interested in Correa in a, a keeper or a dynasty aspect. Kevin, as you are saying, like I think that It's balanced. The fact that he signs combined with going to San Francisco, at least on the surface, they kind of balance each other out as far as valuations go. So you might actually be able to grab him not on the cheap per se, but maybe you might be able to pry him away from a team that wasn't willing to let him go in the past. So something to consider, but Correa signing with the giants has a trickle down effect, Kevin. So with his addition, where do you see the fantasy value of pretty much every other San Francisco infielder, namely the former everyday shortstop Brandon Crawford, multi-positional Tyro Estrada eligible at second base and shortstop. And for our purposes, and then Wilmer Flores who has triple eligibility at first, second and third, like what do you see them going as far as their fantasy goes?
2: If the giants are going to make this move, I would expect they're probably not done, but As of today, Brandon Crawford is probably the starting third baseman. I think that's where roster resource has. And I don't see a lot I I disagree with here. When I'm looking at the Giants roster resource page, they still have Estrada at the top of the lineup as the starting second baseman. We know they're going to do the matchup thing with their platoon splits. So We got Jock Peterson in there versus righties and Lamont Wade Jr. And then we'll probably see Wilmer Flores and Austin Slater versus lefties. We'll have Wilmer Flores usually gets more than his just straight up platoon share because he can play all over. That probably continues as things stand right now. I don't think a whole lot has changed, but there probably is another move or two coming here. I would think
1: I on the surface, I agree with you, but we're going to talk about a lot of moves that have happened last week. There's not many impact players left for we them may to be go after. At Brandon
2: Crawford at third base for the Giants this season is the way things look right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, is there anybody? Will have you seen anybody out there that you think makes a fit for the Giants that would push one of these guys either out or more into a strict platoon role?
3: That's a good question. If they want to spend up for Michael Conforto, that could be interesting. Uh, But
1: that's not really going to affect their infield per se. Drury comes to mind just because he has the flexibility of playing in multiple locations. That's really the only name that I'm looking through a list that like, quote, makes sense. And I think Drury makes sense for a lot of teams at this stage of free agency, especially those that haven't really made any moves. (coughs) Red Sox, just saying that I agree with. So there's always that as well.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. When you look at their roster resource page and look at their lineup, it goes right, left, left, all the way down the lineup, and then two lefties on the bench and two righties on the bench. I mean, it looks like a giant symmetry. Team. I don't
1: want them to change anything. The symmetry right. is so
3: nice. It, it,
2: <laughs> it looks like what we expect from the San Francisco Giants. Right. Like this is the team that they'll run out there.
3: Yeah. It depends I on will. how they feel about J.D. Davis. Huh? They want to give him a shot, I think.
1: You play Right now, yeah, Roster Resource has them as a first base. I don't even think they have them as a platoon on first base. See, like, them I, could first see them
3: sign, I could still see them signing an outfielder and pushing Wade to first base platoon. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this, I think that's a good point. This does look like a Giants roster So lineup. So. We're going to get be. to
1: it, but there's a first baseman out there available at real cheap. We'll get to that a little bit later.
3: <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> But let's, we're gonna save that one for the end. That's called a tease in the industry. Let's move on to a new Carlos here, guys. Actually, a pair of guys that signed one of them named Carlos. Kevin, we got Carlos Estevez signed a two year deal with the Los Angeles Angels. And then Trevor May signs a one-year deal with the Oakland Athletics, both relievers moving into a situation that they possibly could be their team's new closer. They're getting quote-unquote low-end closer money. I use my air quotes that nobody can see here at about $70 per year to enter the these two, both these bullpens have kind of murky waters, gray area, if you will. So moving forward, Kevin, are you drafting either or both of these guys as their assumed Team's closers,
2: not necessarily as assumed closers. However, I think you tweeted about Trevor May, and I agree with this 100%. This is Oakland for what he gets paid, and their young guys being arbitration eligible, they're going to get him as many saves as possible to boost his trade value, and he's gone at the deadline. So, I pretty close on trevor may to say yeah i don't know if it's draft him as a closer in gladiator confidence quite yet but pretty close if you're in a pinch i think you might be able to he's at least going to get some saves there's nobody that they have right now and they're not going to bring anybody in for more than seven million to be the guy even if he is not the guy he'll get part of them. so he's close estavus could be as well. It's just a little murkier in my mind. Her jet was okay last year at time, actually pretty darn good at sometimes as well. So I'm not as confident in Carlos Estevez, but I do believe like with May, He will get some. I would say if you gave me an over under on five saves, I would bet the over for Estebas, And it could be many more than that. But I do have more confidence that at least until mid to late July when he's moved, if he stays healthy, Trevor May probably is the guy in Oakland.
1: Yeah. Pergut also arbitration eligible. So he's still in that realm. He's not a free agent until 2027. And so you got to assume Every single team is looking at that. For whatever reason, saves still count toward arbitration and they count more in the arguments. So it's something I always, when it comes to closers, especially closers that are coming in from the outside, almost always looking at the money. We know that unless teams do a weird thing and sign a guy for four years and then trade them the following or like halfway through the year to another contender for whatever reason. Looking at you angels (laughs) doing that with Iglesias, the money usually dictates what role they're going to have if it's at a certain amount. Now, these guys are making $7 million a year. It's not unheard of that. That's not automatically closer, but it is on the higher end as far as a good chunk of their relievers are getting this year what's your confidence will on either one of these guys at least being in the strong side of the platoon if you will of closing games out for their respective teams at the opening it's pretty
3: high I like some of the points Kevin made starting with May are they really going to pay somebody more to come in there and take saves away from him and I think they want to keep their arbitration eligible guys relatively they might get a couple here or there with closers I'm looking at do you what's your skill like can you miss bats can you limit walks can you limit damage not give up the long ball too much Emilio Pagan and then also looking for an opportunity what is there someone blocking them Kenley Jansen was the the saves reaper this offseason right and no one wanted him to go there because he's probably going to take the saves you look at now there's a couple guys left that maybe they could take like a split but starting with may in oakland i don't see anyone coming in it sounds some credits due to prospects live on their pitching tunnel article that a couple really smart guys over there came up with and he read that made adjustments helped him in season to to start better than his shaky start or to do better than his shaky start so yeah i'm in on may i think that he's probably going to be the closer in oakland gladiators third closer is nice he's probably going to jump up though i think a lot of people are going to be in on him and this is real quick i think a couple things i'm looking at Eno you know Saris's, shout out him his stuff plus metric Estevez away from coors grades out to around like devin williams territory so obviously not the same nasty change up but i think it just alludes to he's got some good stuff and take it for what they're worth but it's just a quote from a gm in december but he did say that they got him to compete in the back end and that the bullpen's wide open that's a, a pretty good source to me i'm going to take a little grain of salt with that, at least. So I'm in on both of them, but Estevez is already getting some helium, I think. I think he's starting to hang out around like Fairbanks and Munoz.
1: Not surprising at all. I think I also yeah. read that Estevez is looking to close. Like yes, He wants I, to close as well. So that was, that, yep. he has the mentality at the Absolutely. very least to want yeah. to be in that role. And he got to dabble with it in Colorado a couple of years ago. He was dabbling in there for a week or two, and he was one of the favorites at one point or another. So you're still in Colorado, unless your name's Daniel Barr, it doesn't usually stick that long. As far as May goes, I wonder, and I don't obviously I've read anything about this or anything at all, but like for him for Trevor May to sign like a one year deal in this environment in the, where we're seeing relievers go for top dollar. I wonder if he also was given like, like a non committal verbal agreement. Hey, we're gonna put you in a situation that you could really shine a light on yourself. You'll be able to close games. You'll be able to really rise your stock. We're probably going to trade you at the trade deadline as long as you do well and we'll reap the benefits of that. But it allows you as a 33-year-old, 34-year-old to maybe then get your three to four-year contract to end your career on a high note. Maybe. I always question why somebody signs with Oakland at this stage. <laughs> right. And usually in that situation, especially like a veteran, and it makes my head go toward the direction that I need somewhere where I know I'm going to be guaranteed playing time, I'm going to be guaranteed a spotlight, and I can raise my stock up. Right. And for a pitcher to do that in Oakland makes a lot of sense.
3: That's a good point. Maybe he does get traded, so maybe you're only getting a half season of saves.
1: Yeah, and then- so like Kevin said, I don't know that I'd be going after him in Gladiator. Yeah, maybe But DC is does- for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: So I think I put Estevez above above May, even if it does maybe look like right now May will get the bulk of saves in the beginning.
1: Yeah, I think Estevez has a better chance of holding the job mm-hmm. throughout the year. Even if neither one of them do, Estevez, I think, has the better chance, especially since he's also on a two-year deal with the Angels. For sure. All right, let's move on to... The, I mean, besides that, Will besides these two guys have really been the first relievers that have signed that... Resulted in an actual debate of whether or not they found a spot where they could become the closer. Dave Robertson's probably not going to be closing games in for the Mets. Pierce Johnson's not going to be closing games in Colorado. Matt Strom's probably not closing games out in Philly. We talked about this last week, but I want to get your take on this as well. Like, of the remaining free agent relievers, who would you be speculating on as in late drafts, expecting them to sign in a similar fashion to Estevez and possibly May as well? To going to a place where they could find themselves the favorite to be closing out games for a team that you know doesn't have a set bullpen.
3: Yeah, that's a good question. First of all, Boxberger, Mister Brad, would like a word. He's wondering. He thinks he's getting saves out there in Chicago.
1: I hope not, because I have a couple of I have some exposure <laughs> to Brandon Hughes, and I'm hoping he holds on to.
3: That. Yeah, no, I hear you. We're looking at three older vets. Taylor Rogers, I think, is the best guy out there still. I could see him landing a spot and at least getting a timeshare. this Chapman's out there. Craig Kimbrell. I don't know. If it's my team, I'm not doing that to myself. I could see, I guess they land somewhere. Miami seems like maybe they're up in the air. There's Floro and Tanner Scott. Arizona's kind of up in the air. But after that, it's just question marks. Like Washington could take a stab at somebody if they don't want to use Finnegan. But I know Kevin doesn't want me to say Texas with Leclerc, he's saying hands off, no one's going there. Like I think if Taylor Rogers goes to Texas, that could be trouble.
1: I think if Taylor Rogers goes anywhere it's going to be trouble. Unless yeah. he goes to a team that has like an Edwin Diaz type of closer, right. I think he has a legit chance even as a lefty to take those take those situations. We heard Craig Mish talk on our guys the Fantasy Baseball Beat podcast and their first episode talk about how he expects them to go out and get a closer type or somebody with experience to take over that role from Floro, from Scott, or at least be like the guy who can take up the most of the situation there. That
3: seems like that guy to me. He's to from
1: Miami. Right? That's, that's what that, Mitch said. I mean, said. Yeah, but those who live in Miami don't usually work out well when they sign with the Marlins. There's a lot of distractions <laughs> when yeah. you're that close to home in that kind of environment. Kimbrel makes, a, it doesn't really make sense anywhere, but I guess you could... I could see a way in which Kimbrel makes his way to the Marlins as a vet and finds his way into that role there. I don't know. I don't know. This is tough. Obviously, this is something we all want to be speculating on in DCs if DCs actually start happening again because there haven't really been any DCs uh, finishing up, and we'll get to that a little bit later in the show as well. So it's always interesting to speculate on these situations. All right, like I said, I alluded to there are more Carloses on the move. Carlos Rodon he signs a six year deal with the Yankees. Will what are your overarching Thoughts on, on on this landing spot for Rodon?
3: Yeah, I think it's a good move for him. He's going to a championship club team, better run support than last year in San Francisco. What we know about him, we know he's going to strike people out, right? Twenty six percent K minus walk ratio last year. The win potential, I know winds are fickle, but. I still pay attention to them. I don't think you can just discredit and go into New York. That's good for me. The stuff is overpowering. I don't see it hurting the ratios. Again, talking park factors. Kevin, good call out that that was on the runs earlier. But uh, Chris Clegg mentioned that at Oracle Park's better for right-handers than the Yankee Stadium. So the Yankee Stadium issue is that short porch and right. And Rondone doesn't give up barrels to lefties, pulled barrels for sure. I think he put, he said, two last year and four totaled pull fly balls. And he's nasty to lefties. So I think, and then you got the shift coming in also where I think that also helps him because lefties I don't think are getting a boost against him. So I think it's a great move. I think, no, I don't know if it should be a concern, but the shoulder still worries me. What happened at the end of his tenure in Chicago? Like they just decided not to tender him. With, I thought that was so weird. I thought he was not healthy then. And then he comes and posts 178 innings, the most innings he's ever thrown. His max before that was like around 160 in 2016. So it's been a while. So the only problem with him, I definitely love the pitcher. He's definitely still SP1 for me. The only issue is I'm usually taking bats when he's going because someone loves the strikeouts and usually jumps him. So like a Julio Urias is the one who's left for me. After I'm taking my bats and I might even have to sprinkle in a closer depending on what the what the format is. Love the pitcher. I don't think you need 200 innings anymore, especially from someone who's striking out at his percent. Yeah, I think it's a great move for him.
1: He ended up going in the middle of the fifth round in this the gladiator I'm currently in, but it was also it's also a four hour gladiator, so that might have happened. I don't know, three weeks ago. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure the pick happened before he signed with the uh, with New York. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is similar. In my mind, it's, it's similar, Kevin, to what you talked about with a career going to San Francisco. So I think him signing with the Yankees kind of bat- in that park has certain connotations that balances out the fact that he signed. Do you have any any direct thoughts on, I see you nodding your head. Do you have any additional thoughts? Yeah,
2: that's exactly where I was going. I think this is going to have a negative perception as a landing spot when I think it's a great landing spot. So if he slightly gets the, he signed bump, That's great for his value. If he doesn't move or even drop slightly, even better for his value. I'm more interested in Rodon now than I was if he was in San Francisco. Will brought it up. We've been talking about it throughout the show. The park factors. Lefties don't hit him. We're not worried about left-handed hitters off Carlos Rendon, Rodon, anywhere. Doesn't matter what the ballpark is. (laughs) And right-handed hitters... In New York, the Yankee stadium is mid pack for home runs and park factors for right handed hitters. And that's with a 30 home run boost from a guy named Aaron judge this season. So I love this move. Will brought this up as well the wins We can't chase wins, but we have to, I'm like, keep saying that probably more this season than I've said it in the past. I think this is a great spot for roto.
1: Yeah. You got to you have to chase the wins especially and as we continue to see teams shift their philosophy on how they're utilizing their rotation, how often they're how far they're going into games. The wins are harder to come by on a regular basis as it is, never mind whether you're on a good team or a bad team. All right, we have a lot to talk about, so I want to take a little bit of a break real quick and we'll come back right after this. All right, guys, we're back. Let's get right back into it. We got a couple of one-year deals that some pitchers made, Kevin. So let's get your take on these guys real quick with special attention to one of them, of course. Noah Syndergaard signs with the Dodgers. Michael Lorenzen signs a one-year deal with Detroit Tigers. And then your boy now, Ryan Yarbrough signs with your Royals. (laughs) Is this the only signing I think the Royals have made this year? Am I missing anybody?
2: As far as free agents,
1: yes, yes, free agents, yeah. yes, yes, uh, one I more think- than the Miami has made. So congratulations right. on that. <laughs> 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 what? How excited are you to have the Friday Pirate with or Fratty Pirate, excuse me, in Ken- as Nick Pollock will call him in Kansas City? Do you have any, what any feelings whatsoever?
2: <laughs> yeah, I think this is Nick Pollock. Is this goes right into. The stuff he's talked about for a couple of years, right? When Vargas was a Royal, he won 20 games in that ballpark. Yeah. No, I'm not saying Ryan Yarbrough is going to win 20 games. That's not where I'm going, but he slides in to, he's their roster resource has him at three. I would say Ryan Yarbrough is their number two starter right now behind Brandon Singer. And he's going to get his innings and that ballpark does it now it's a very good ballpark for runs being scored like Coors like San Francisco these ballparks that have massive outfields even though we think of them negatively because home runs aren't hit there as often they more runs are scored so that can be an issue but he's not going to give up as many long balls in, in Kansas City that's just the way it works there and he's gonna get the innings as as long as he's healthy he's gonna go now he's not gonna wow us with a great era but with their young talented athletic position players i i think typically these guys he's not the only one jeremy guthrie had success pitching for the kansas city royals right these guys later in their career these types of guys i think can go out and give us solid innings I don't want him as a starter in a 12-team league in my lineup, but in a DC, heck yeah, I'll grab him where he's going right now and hopefully not need him, but at some point later in the year, I might.
1: I can always tell the excitement level a team has about who they signed based on the announcement that they make on Twitter. And the fact that they brought him in and didn't even bother paying somebody to Photoshop him in a Royals jersey, instead just used him in his Tampa Bay jersey, I feel like that says a lot.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Royals report and all these different Royals sites that I follow and some of their writers, like this was projected. Like multiple guys, all off season long, have said Ryan Yarbrough is going to be a Kansas City Royal. This is the type of guy they bring in, and he can have success. Others
1: have before him. So can can do you see him setting a new career high? You said he's going to get his innings as long as he stays healthy. His career high in a single season is 155. is what he hit in 2021 when he started. 21 games, came in in relief nine times for Tampa Bay. Do you see him eclipsing that this year? Yes. All right.
3: Ooh, I'm all in for that then. Yeah. The
1: K rate, you, he's going well, to have He's going to be right? a
2: starter out of the gate. Yeah. And he's going to stay gonna a, gonna starter a starter as long, as, long as he gate.
1: doesn't blow up. Yeah, that's sure. what,
3: right. Can he hold up? That's yeah. what I'm thinking. But it's possible. I'm in for that then, 38th, 39th round. But he'll probably move up, what would you say, a couple rounds now that he's signed? Or do you think that he just, now that he's just on the... I,
2: he might move up a little bit because he signed, but I don't think there was much doubt he was going to sign. Right. And while going to the Royals doesn't excite anybody, like I said, some of these veteran pitchers in the past, it's worked out really well when they go to Kansas City. Zach Grinke doesn't strike anybody out anymore my 11 year old daughter can get a hit off of him but he
0: (laughs) or not strike
2: out against him but he had a good year and that's what that's a lot about Kauffman Stadium and the Royals defense so I like it when a a decent veteran pitcher comes to Kansas City
1: I think he will move up because he found a spot where you know his role you know what his role is going to be. If he signed with somewhere where you weren't sure if he was going to be a starter or a reliever or some kind of mix or long man or whatever, I think it would be a little bit murkier. He might even have moved down in drafts. But now that you have a little bit less risk in the fact that he's not he's going to get those innings, Kevin, as right. you're saying, I can see him being somebody that people stretch out for a little bit more often. Michael Lorenzen did that when he signed with the Angels. He specifically signed with the Angels because he said he was guaranteed a, a rotation spot when that was la- last year, I think. And that pushed him up a little bit on draft boards. Now he signs with Detroit. Will like, do you see that being the situation? Is he going to be guaranteed like a spot in their rotation there or is, is he still murky there? What do you think?
3: Yeah, no, I think he's got a rotation spot. They Tigers have had some weird stuff going on with their organization. A lot of injuries in their pitchers. You got Torkelson and Green coming up last year and year before, not looking what we were promised. So they got a new regime in there now. Scott Harris is taking over. He came from San Francisco, and I was listening to what his interview at the winter meetings, and he's talking about creating a process of where we're giving feedback a lot more quick to the players so they can make adjustments trying to shorten up adjustment periods. And I'm not going to say that the pass regime wasn't doing that, but to me it doesn't seem like in the proof was in the pudding that it was mishandled or just not developed the way it could be. So I'm looking at the Tigers a little differently now in the signings that they're making. I think that they're pretty calculated. Ross Resource has them slotting in in the three spot right now. Whether Matt Manning or Spencer Turnbull show up really good in spring training and go before that. But right now it's just Rodriguez and Matt Boyd. So I like him. I think Lorenzen's a gamer. I think he works hard at his craft. I think he got a shoulder injury that knocked him out for two months last year. So that's a little bit of a red flag. But he's another guy that's going late. And I think the innings will be there as long as he can stay up and we can't project injury. So I'm in on it.
1: All right. And then the third leg of this stool here is, of course, Thor signing with, with the Dodgers. And presumably, this will be the first time he's actually pitched for a team that has a positive narrative revolving around their pitching development and coaching. Not to say anything against the Mets and the Angels and what happened, the Phillies, but it is what it is. Will, do you see the Dodgers? actually doing anything for Syndergaard to make him worthy once more if you will
3: yeah I wouldn't put anything past the Dodgers in their development system the numbers are crunching over there I think their analytical department is really strong and uh, they know what to do so I would imagine they're going to work with Syndergaard and try to utilize what he does best and minimize what he doesn't do as well and so that's throwing the worst pitches less and the better pitches more and I think with Cindergaard, it comes down to velocity, like with a lot of pitchers. We're seeing a different guy now this last year than we saw when he was with the Mets, almost four miles per hour lower on the velocity. Shout out pitcherless pitching pages. They got the velocity there. Go take a look at that if you haven't already. And so I'm thinking that, okay, we got to get the velocity back. But he's had a lot of injuries. I see on Twitter Tread Athletics, who's worked with pitchers before, worked with Clay Holmes, worked with Mitch Keller. They're posting content on this is what Noah Syndergaard needs to do. And the next thing I know, I see him at their facility working out. So to me, that tells me he's dedicated. Now fast forward. Dodgers are signing them. That's enough for me to be in. It's not,
1: it's amazing how that happens, right? It's because they signed, like, and happened with Andrew Heaney last year. Andrew Heaney signed with the Dodgers way earlier than most guys did. I think he signed, mm-hmm. maybe, he might have signed it like the end of October and early November last year because he wanted to get in there as soon as possible, yeah. get a routine down. Take advantage of everything the Dodgers have to offer. Tyler Anderson. Yeah. So the same mentality, obviously, that Syndergaard is having right now with the Dodgers as well. It's just amazing how one organization has built themselves up in that fashion, not only to court pitchers that they might want to sign, but also the fandom and just us as analysts that we're like seeing it from the outside and be like, all right, this is automatically a good sign. Good things will come automatically.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It could blow up. It doesn't work for everyone. But (laughs) At the same time, we're just playing percentages, right? We're just, we're trying to take information, gather it all together and make our best guess.
1: Yeah. Is this moving Syngard either back into the conversation for you, Kevin, or is this something you got to wait and see? Even Will said you can't fix everybody, but do you see moving up your board just because the fact that he signed with the Dodgers?
2: Yes. And because of everything else Will said. And I think one thing we forget is he didn't pitch at all in 2020 and he pitched two innings in 2021. So 134 innings in 2022 was a lot of innings, but he's got a lot of working back to do yet of all teams. If somebody sees something and they think there's something left and he just needs more than this 136 innings, he's thrown since four seasons ago now it's the dodgers and yeah i'm in especially at the cost he's at right now he is going to jump quite a bit because i think this will be common opinion for a lot of people out there unfortunately so i think we should probably grab him now if you're in the middle of slow drafts and you're getting to that point snatch him up and and we'll see where it goes from here but yeah i'm optimistic about this move
1: all right i think the last grouping of pitching Pitchers we're going to talk about today. A couple guys signed more than a one-year contract. We got two guys here: shamanaya and Ross Stripling. They both sign with the Dodgers on a two-year deal. I think Manaya has an opt-out clause after the first year as well. And then Chris Bassett signs in Toronto for three years. Let's strictly talk about the Giants guys real quick. Between Stripling and Manaya, which one do you think the Giants also have created this aura around themselves where pitchers can go and make themselves right? Which one of these guys can the Giants do the most with?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. I think maybe there's more room with Mania just because for me, that a he feels like a very volatile pitcher. Like you don't really know what you're going to get. And I think the velocity isn't there. You're relying on the secondaries being good. And sometimes the control is just not there. They can tighten that up. Maybe they got something there. But me personally, I'm a stripling guy. I like getting those ratios late. You're talking probably a sub four whip or a sub four ERA and a one. I hope two hope so. Yeah, yeah. I hope it's Louise. a sub four whip. <laughs> yeah. Geez. Hey, just making sure you're awake over there. No, I appreciate making that. Making sure you're awake. <laughs> yeah. And a one, two whip. So that's good for me. I like, like I said, I like really protecting my ratio. So if I can get a guy, was it around EP 300, 320? The innings maybe aren't there. If he probably can't hold up, but if I can get like 140, I think it's quality. So then if he's hurt, then I can just fill in someone else. There'll be injuries. Yeah, stripling for me, if I had to pick, plant my flag with the guy.
1: All right. Sounds good. Hopefully both these guys can uh, make names for themselves. And especially on Mania's case, he can do it earlier rather than later since he has that opt out and he can bet on himself and go out and get that longer term deal that I'm sure he he would love to have. Kevin, the third one on here is Chris Bassett. Maybe possibly consider like the number three pitcher on the board. Goes to Toronto. Signs just a three-year deal, which I think surprised a lot of people, myself included, thought he might get a four-year deal or even a five-year deal, especially since he had the qualifying offer attached to him thought that Toronto would be more willing to invest a little bit more time if they're going to give up that draft pick. But three years in Toronto is what he's going to get is the fact that he's going to Toronto moving the needle for you. Or is this just a lateral move?
2: I guess lateral. We talked about this two or three weeks ago with Bassett. I said, I didn't really care a whole lot about where he landed because it would be a good team because we're chasing wins. And there wasn't, I didn't think he would end up in any of the spots that terrify us when we're sending, when we're putting a starting pitcher into our weekly lineup. And Toronto is one of those places. I think Toronto got a stigma as a huge home run park a few years ago, but that was when they had Bautista and double E hitting 40 apiece at the same Man. time. And it's been mid pack all along. It still is mid pack for as far as home runs are concerned. And yeah, I think the landing spot's just fine. But like we talked about a while back, unless he ended up in just a horrible spot, which we didn't think would happen, I was fine with pretty much anywhere he landed.
1: I, you're right. It has a narrative of being a hitter friendly park. I guess that would have been the in the AL East. But the fact that we have a more balanced schedule now that obviously will play a little bit of a factor in the fact that he's not going to play in Yankee Stadium or in Fenway Park as often. He might still get a start or two throughout the course of the season, but he's not they're not playing each other like 19 times throughout the course of the season anymore. I don't remember that name, that number is now, but I know it is not completely even. They still play their division a couple more times than the rest of the league, but it's not that into 20 games per season as well. It's still
2: 13. I think 13, this is getting you. way overblown. I really do.
1: So Get the a, pitcher, box out.
2: a pitcher is going to face a team approximately one time less if they're in their division, possibly two. And if that happens to be okay, I'm not facing the Pirates this time out. But later in the year... I'm going to face the Rockies on the road instead. I think there's going to be just as much good from this as bad. And it's pretty much a wash. And especially if you're using projections, you shouldn't be considering it at all because the projections with already built sure. sure for that's one thing we can be a hundred percent certain that the schedule as opposed to last year's is already figured in. All of the projection systems, I, I, especially I know Derek Cardi said for sure, like it has the ballpark they're the scheduled in projected to over the season with their schedule. It may not end up being exact there. There's a rain out and they get shuffled to a series. But this is one thing that I think is getting completely overblown and I don't care about it one bit the schedule.
1: I did not plan this by the way. <laughs> I didn't I not try to set Kevin up with that comment, but, but I appreciate the insight, out. yeah. All right. All right. And tell me if I'm thinking about this a little bit too much either one of you guys. Like is the fact that Bassett had a 48% ground ball rate last year is that concerning going to Toronto with the turf and with the not questionable defense, but defense in and of itself always going to be in question. Is that not a con- ground ball pitchers hitting having balls hit really hard on the ground? on the turf is going to be going to be something i think about
2: i think we're gonna that's where everybody's gonna go but the culprit is going to be no shift not no shift that's another oh, that's thing on top of it really wrong. yeah yeah that's another thing we're talking about wrong there's still going to be a lot of shifting just not to Absolutely. the extent there was shifting it's still going to occur but i think that will have more to do with it than these are major league baseball players playing. Yes, some are better at defense than others. There's still major league baseball players playing defense. So I think that gets overblown as well. We've talked about it with the Mets in the past when pitchers went there a couple of years ago. And statistically, they have the worst defense in the league. Still a major league baseball team out there playing defense. So I. There is something there, but I don't think it's enough of a difference to really put a lot of stock in. And I could be wrong, but that's the way I feel about it. I think it's one of these things that gets way overblown.
1: And it's one of these things that nobody will really know until at least early April. Yeah.
3: I think you might see a little bit of regression, but I don't think it'll be super noticeable. I think Bassett will still be a legit arm.
1: Not, nothing that's really affecting where you're drafting him, Will, is what I'm taking it. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's move away. Well, it's mix and match. We got a trade that involved hitters and pitchers. Kevin, finally, we've been talking about it since probably our first offseason episode. Sean Murphy is no longer with the A's. He gets moved to Atlanta. Willem Contreras heads to Milwaukee. Manny Pina and escher Ruiz and Kyle Muller goes to Oakland from Milwaukee and Atlanta. Let's focus here on what the A's got here. There's been a lot of talk about this trade and a lot of these players. I want to first focus your thoughts on the A's return, regardless of what, if you feel they got enough out of Sean Sean Murphy or what have you. Do Did the presumed addition of the rotation in Kyle Muller and a new younger speedster, Veshera Ruiz, who could spend time at second base or at center field, or I think roster resource has them as a starting center fielder right now, possibly mixing match between both as they're needed. Due due to the just pure extra volume that they should both be getting, how are your, how's your interest evolved on either one of these guys now that they're in Oakland?
2: In fab leagues, not much at all. Still, I don't have much interest. I'll definitely keep an eye on them in Draft champions or other variations of 50 round draft and hold leagues. I'm much more interested in both of these guys because they're going to get the playing time, at least to start out. They're going to have to be. And this just sounds crazy when we're already talking about the Oakland Athletics, but they're going to have to be absolutely horrible to lose their playing time. Um, Ruiz could be the stolen base leader of Major League Baseball with 400 plate appearances. So he is definitely on a radar late in draft champions and similar draft and holds formats now. And Muller is a guy we've been wanting to see for a while and he's going to get the opportunity in a nice ballpark for pitchers. Yeah, in deep draft and hold leagues, I'm interested in both in fab leagues, I'm just keeping an eye on him.
3: What about Gladiator?
2: I ruiz would be really interesting in gladiator right because he is going to get that playing time to start the season and if he would go out there and steal 40 bags and then lose his job for the last two months of the season that would be a blessing probably for the rest of the categories (laughs) right so he might he as crazy as it sounds i say i'm not even interested in him in a fab league i might if i thought i was in a tight spot as far as stolen bases because concerned we're gonna lose players in these gladiator leagues anyway so it's tough to go in and accept that risk off off the bat however uh if if i think with someone like him that i'm gonna get value out of him prior to the possibility of losing him i could yeah, possibly 23rd round of a gladiator. I could see Ruiz if I'm really short on stolen bases. It would be tough and it would seem absolutely crazy, but I would consider it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The fact that Re ended up with Oakland, third team in less than two seasons, is a, a, definitely a blessing for his skill set. Not only the fact that he'll get the playing time where he might not have gotten it in Milwaukee or were any almost anywhere else. But as I'm really diving a little bit more into stolen bases recently, I realized or I noticed that. The A's were the third most aggressive team in baseball on the base pass. They just had the third least amount of opportunities to send their players. So their totals aren't that great. But when they had opportunities, they were sending their players. And it didn't matter necessarily how fast they were, though the players that had a higher sprint speed, like 27, I think when I was looking up like 27 or higher, they were pushing them even harder. So a guy like Ruiz, who has a 98th percentile sprint speed, on the A's yeah he still has to work on getting on base and putting himself in a situation where he has the opportunity to steal but mark my words the a's unless they have big flip in their mentality as far as base running goes which i don't see happening <laughs> based on where who like their roster construction the new rules in place as we continuously talk about um that's gonna he's gonna he's gonna run Simple as that. And that that 40 stolen bases is definitely in in the cards. The one thing I would be
2: cautious of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, but the one thing I would be cautious about, and I think we're all pretty much in agreement. He's going to play at least to start the season. But Jorge Mateo was in this spot with Oakland and never got the opportunity for a couple of years when we thought they had to. I remember the year he was out of options. We thought, oh, they have to play him. They traded him instead. But he sat on the bench for a while yeah. before they traded him.
1: They didn't yeah, play. Yeah, yeah that's,
2: but I think they we're should fairly have. Fairly confident in that with that Ruiz will play, but there is that possibility. That's true.
1: That's true. But they traded for Ruiz. They had Mateo right. in their system for yeah. years, so they probably just soured on him and be like, "Hey, we don't like you anymore."
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Teams do that. <laughs> All right. Let's see the other flip side of this. Will we're I'm going to kick off a whole bunch of catcher talk here, but I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to have you talk about Sean Murphy. I'm not going to talk about William Contreras. I think know who they are and where they're going. A lot of people have talked about them already. If you want to mention them, feel free. But my question is, Manny Pena, he goes to Oakland. He slots in as their starter behind the plate. Does he become a fantasy C2 candidate now that he has that kind of role with the A's?
3: I don't think so. They could play Shea Langoliers at DH and let... Manny Pena play catcher, but I think it's going to be Shea mostly and then Manny just backing up, really. I'm looking other places for my C2. If if he's my C2, I'm in trouble. I've made a mistake, so try to stay out of that territory. But I would buy William Contreras for sure. I think the move to Milwaukee should be clear playing time. There's some talk of, like I know the home run to fly ball rate's crazy, but we don't need that type of production. No one expects that, but it'll mellow out. But I think it's it's a legit bat still. And the defense is not super great, but they do have some history with working with catchers and improving their defense with Narvaez. And Yasmani Grandal worked over there too. So I think that there might be some stuff there. I think they're going to give them all the chance in the world to be a catcher one. So I'd be buying William.
1: All right. So you heard Will say it. If you have Manny Pena in your starting catching spot, you've made some bad life decisions. All right. We got, like I said, we had a couple other catchers signed. So let's hit on those. You mentioned Omar Navarez. He signs with the Mets. Mike Zunino signs with Cleveland. And Christian Vasquez signs with Minnesota. So in theory, each of these three guys will should and could become their team's primary catcher, at least to start the season. Which situation of these three do you like the most or more so to return actual value, fantasy value as a potential C2 in this situation?
3: Yeah, I love Christian Vasquez. I think he's the easy call here. I don't see, I like Ryan Jeffers' barrel percentage a little bit, but there's not much else there. So I think that it's Vasquez role, 100%. And to get that batting average that late from your C2, I think is a good way to go. Then you're not, if you can, I like going catcher early. So the batting average isn't going to kill me there. And then if I can get Vasquez as my C2, I think he did a good job. And he's going to chip in about 10 home runs. I think decent RBI run production for a catcher. He's going to sprinkle in a couple steals for you too. So I think that' easy call for me. I hope Bo Naylor still gets some run, but maybe he's got to spend some time in AAA. It would be weird if he was just the backup and Zunino got most of the run. So I don't know what's going to happen there. I guess we'll see.
1: Yeah, I'm with you on Bo Naylor. I would like to see Bo Naylor get some at-bats, especially since I made the mistake of drafting him in a Gladiator League as well.
3: Not not a mistake. Happy mistake. (laughs) As long as he...
1: It's like, Kevin, like you were saying with Ruiz... If even if Naylor doesn't start off with the at bats at the beginning exactly. of the season, if he gets the volume at the in the second half, in a catcher position, ten homers, it,
3: ten steals, I'll take it. Boom, I'll right. take it.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be interesting in gladiators. Guys sitting there, and they could help out later. We're I think everybody's operating under the assumption that we're gonna. Only lose players as the season goes on, but there are a few that are being drafted that we may gain as the season goes on. That's yeah, true. and not
1: just prospects, like, but yeah, players that change the their role. And so we'll see how that works out. Uh, Kevin, with Vasquez going into Minnesota, he obviously takes the place former Minnesota, former Yankee Gary Sanchez. He's still a free agent. He still has catcher eligibility in NFBC and in most platforms. Should he find a place to actually catch? And do you do you actually want him to? Because he's still got the catcher eligibility, whether he signs on somewhere as a DH or as a backup catcher with extra availability. Is there anywhere that he could actually retain fantasy value that he could sign with?
2: It's gonna retain it for this season. Anyway, I don't think he's going to be a primary catcher most anywhere, and I don't think he's going to be near a full-time DH with a 200 batting average. But I think he probably lands somewhere as the second catcher and may get 300 plate appearances maybe push the 400 that a lot of guys get and that's about all he had last season i guess it was a little over 400 at bats last season and 16 home runs he's still the 23rd catcher off the board in draft champions leagues over the past month i'm not
1: touching him there
2: the guys that that will's talking about if he's my catcher too i'm in trouble i'd probably rather have the <laughs> gary sanchez right now
1: yeah, unless you went really heavy on catchers early and you grabbed him as your C3 just while other teams were get, are still getting their C2s. Yeah, he's more likely everybody's C2 in that scenario as a 23rd off the board. All right. More power to you. you have a lot more faith in him <laughs> than I do. So anybody listening who has made that decision, please let us know. Maybe. They by like
2: the way, going I love Mike Zunino in Cleveland, by the way. Huh? I think that's a great, I mean, I think it's right along the lines Fits perfect with josh bell going there they have their young core plus jose ramirez and bringing in some of these guys that may not hit for the best batting average but can zunino can play good defense and they can hit the ball out of the ballpark and that's what cleveland needed i think i think they only had 127 home runs in 2022 so additions like this i think will help and that's I hate to say it, being a fan of another AL Central team, <laughs> but that Cleveland lineup is starting to look really tough to me. Yeah.
3: So, do you think Bo Naylor is going to be starting Triple A? You think that that's what I that's do? Going to I think he's going to yeah.
2: play every day to start the season. Oh, you just broke be.
3: so many people's hearts right but now. They're in the grocery store, club. walking yeah. their dog, and they're like, "Bo Naylor's not a good... what,
1: Kevin? <laughs> Kevin, no." Yeah, I've had Cleveland fan. I've had I've had a couple of people, Dave McDonald specifically, on Twitter throw some cold water on my bow nailer. love it as well, along sure. with Chad Young as well. So shout out to those guys for putting me in my place on Twitter. And if you guys read any of those tweets, you'd already you're already aware Bo Naylor was never going to be the starting catcher to, on Opening Day, and obviously the Zunino signing puts the nail in that coffin. All right, let's. Uh, I think that's enough catcher talk. Let's move on to Baltimore, Kevin. We have Adam Frazier. He signs a one year deal. With the Baltimore Orioles at $8 million, does that uh, give him the chance to play every day at second base for Baltimore? Do you see him as simply a depth piece for the Orioles and someone that can fill in at second base, maybe corner outfield and potentially get traded at the deadline?
2: I know $8 million isn't a whole lot of money anymore, and I know Baltimore is ahead of schedule on their rebuild but I don't think Baltimore is the type of team that gives $8 million to somebody they don't think going to get a majority of the playing time. He could be a platoon bat. That's where roster resource has him now. I'd say the strong side of a platoon is probably the minimum. Unfortunately, he could be at the bottom of that order. We talk about this with bad teams. I'm not mm-hmm. saying Baltimore is a bad team anymore. As of right now, the way the lineup looks, I love Ramon Urias, Kyle Stowers, Austin Hayes, Adam Frazier, that would be the bottom four of their lineup. That's better than we typically see when we're talking about the bottom of lineups for bad teams. So I'm going to have to see where this makes him land in ADP before I know if I'm interested. But I'm not scared away. And I think $8 million from Baltimore probably means he's playing.
1: All right, let's say... Kevin's right, Will. Adam is playing every day at second base, or at least close to it. What kind of a uh, trickle-down effect do you see this having as far as your interest level in the younger infielders, the Orioles could be bringing up this? Sounds
3: like if that's happening to Jorge Mateo, drafters who are expecting a lot of steals, maybe aren't getting those steals, or are getting them in a limited supply. I don't know. I, maybe I like Jorge Mateo more than other people. I probably do. I don't know if I really see Frazier playing a lot, but I get $8 million and they're pretty shrewd over there in Baltimore but yeah it looks like Mateo would be the one losing out on playing time if a Frazier's gonna slot in there so I think they like Urias still they play him at third base and then Frazier plays the majority at second against righties and so you think
1: Gunner's gonna you think that you see Gunner Henderson moving over back or back over to shortstop instead of holding, it, holding down were, the job at third base it,
3: yeah, if it were me, I would play Ramon Urias at second. I'd play Mateo at short and Gunner at third, and I'd let Fraser rove around and be the utility guy. That's what I would do. But like I said, maybe I like Mateo more. He seemed like he was average to slightly above average defensively. There, maybe their plan is they want Gunner at short. And then in that case, Mateo's not going to stand in his way. So I could see that being the case. But yeah, I was surprised by the signing, honestly. I didn't think that they really needed an infielder, corner outfielder. I think I like some of those guys, Stowers. I like Coors or Kowser coming up too. So I thought that they needed pitching.
1: Yeah, I mean, if if I see anybody as like the more roaming around kind of guy, I thought Mateo would make the better multi-positional guy. Playing the outfield, he can play pretty much every infield position. Maybe not. Some of them very well, but he can still, yeah. you know, he can be serviceable. He was doing that for a while as well. He had a lot of positions eligible in most fantasy formats. Before he started losing them, he's playing more time at shortstop. But yeah, with Urias kind of being, he didn't play a lot of shortstop last year, but he played plenty of it in 2021. We'll see how that works out. I'm more curious to see the Joey Ortiz's and the Connor Norby's coming up through the system and how this kind of pushes those guys back, if at all, or if they're going to need more of a an injury That's roadmap rather than they're probably not competing for an opening day role now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Th- point. Go ahead. Go I ahead. hope,
2: but Mate- I hope people think Mateo is going to lose playing time because yeah. I may not be as high on him as will is, but I'm interested in Mateo but definitely not at his men pick in the past month at DC's. He went in the sixth round pick 87. Yeah. Like, I can't that, do there's that. no way now that's almost a hundred picks ahead of his average, but even at his max two twenty-five, that's still 15th round of a 15 team league. That's a little steep for me, but yeah. if people think he's going to lose his playing time, He could lose a lot of playing time and not lose very many stolen bases because he will pinch run at the end of games. He will be the runner on second if they have extra inning games. There's all kinds of scenarios where he can still get the stolen bases. We may not get the double-digit home runs if he doesn't get the plate appearances, but we won't get the hit and batting average either. So I think it would be nice if he starts to fall a little bit. AL John Birdie
1: right there. there we go yeah <laughs> no that's a
3: good point too and he can move around and still accumulate that way just because he doesn't have a starting role that doesn't ice him out i was being a little facetious earlier i should have clarified that but yeah i don't know the batting average is still gonna hurt you so I, i'm not jump i'm not planning to take mateo in my drafts it's more that of wasn't a, you
2: like, that took him at 87 I don't like, I don't, I don't like,
3: let me take that back too. that i don't like him that much either Jesus. louise <laughs> I want to make sure
1: you're filtering your ADP and that the NFBC didn't come up with some other yeah. strange format yeah. that I'm not afraid. I'm not aware of yet, or you're only drafting stolen bases or something like that.
3: Yeah. This Batting is average. DC's league.
2: over the last month. <laughs> All right. There's been 11
1: of them. Yeah. I, that's, yeah. Slow. We'll get to that. That's very low. They're, they're All right, guys, let's move on to some outfielders earlier today. We saw Andrew Benintendi sign a five-year deal with the White Sox, presumably becoming their starting left fielder for the next few years. He should slot in toward the top of that lineup, a Russell resource that has him batting second now between Tim Anderson and Luis Robert. Assuming either of them are actually healthy at any given time, Will, how does this landing spot and situation that he's going into impact your fantasy valuation of Benintendi?
3: Yeah, I had him relatively around his ADP right now just because I didn't expect him not to sign somewhere. I think it's a decent landing spot. He should fit, like you said, in the top of that order. He's a batting average pillow at at that point. I think he traded power for batting average this last year. I guess he could make a switch back and say, I want to try to hit 275, but hit 15 to 16, 17 home runs now. But He'll still chip in you some stolen bases, so if you're going that route of trying to add eight to ten to twelve in multiple spots, which I like to do, he's a good fit there. I don't, and like I said, unless he makes that switch, I don't think we're getting up to 15 home runs. So you got to make sure you got your power by the time you're drafting him. Last two weeks of all ADP is a 235. You guys, I wonder how much he rises with this news. I was looking. Like you got Oscar Gonzalez and Brandon Nimmo and Bellinger in that 170 range. I wonder if he rises all the way up around there.
1: I don't see him going as high as Nimmo, though. He brings something more to the table if he does. If he does start to run again, if you're of the opinion that the new rules are going to help the middling speedsters more so than the top end guys. Ben Tendy is right in there, 53rd percentile sprint right. speed last year. And so he's somebody that if the White Sox decide to take advantage of that, they could go with him. He's had a history of being able to run the bases a little bit more efficiently. So that could come back for him in batting second in a lineup. Obviously, Nemo's going to be leading off most of the time for the Mets. But as fast as Nemo has been recorded to being, he right. doesn't actually use it. Maybe the new rules change that. Maybe he just doesn't like to run. Who knows? He's already got his money. He's going to do what he's going to do best. He's now, made a glass. Yeah, that too. That's probably has a play, <laughs> that is a part of it. That's the thing about these contracts though, man. A lot of people are like, oh, there's too much money. I'm like, everybody realizes that these ownerships have insurance policies on all of these major contracts. So even a guy it, yeah. like Nemo, who's made a glass, he gets hurt. He's on the IL for an extended period of time. They don't care. They're getting their money. Like they're getting their insurance policies cashed in in the right situations. But anyway, that's a different tangent.
3: So do you think he you, would you take him over like Alex Verdugo who's going like around pick 200? I'd
1: put him in the same. He's probably yeah. they're probably going to come together. Those yeah. two guys, they're pretty much the probably,
3: probably about a two round bump for Benintendi. With this I can news. see that.
1: Yeah. Now that he has a role in a hitter friendly environment, at the top of a lineup where he's, you're pretty sure he's going to play every day. I'm pretty sure that Mike Carter, or friend of the show, Mike Carter, he spoke this into existence. He's been talking about Ben Benintendi or at least some everyday left fielder being signed yeah. by the White Sox. And lefty it actually happens in the lefty yeah. bat, exactly what he's yeah. been saying. And he got it. We'll see if it works out.
2: I think this is big news for... Eloy Jimenez we all assumed he's the full-time DH now but until they went and got left fielder it wasn't for certain I think we can those that have drafted Jimenez so far can take a bit of a sigh of relief that he may not be Roman left field out there in Chicago
1: speaking of
3: glass yeah a lot of rosters over here a lot of rosters
1: (laughs) and for those looking at Oscar Colas to be to be a starting outfielder he's still got an opening in right field to break the opening day roster out there as well. So if you got your Oscar Colas is already being drafted, don't fear too much because of the signing. I think all right. The other outfielder that signed, Kevin is talking about average pillows. As Will mentioned, we had Joey Gallo who needs that average pillow typically if you are going to draft him. He signs a one year deal with the Minnesota Twins in an effort to reestablish his value or establish his value I'm not sure how you it depends on how you value him for next offseason and hopefully for him he can cash in on that in order for him to do that he needs to find the right place to do that so do you think that Minnesota is the place where he can actually bring up his value he can put a spotlight on himself and whether they trade him at the deadline or not doesn't matter Minnesota's you know always going to say that they're going to be trying for the playoffs even if he spends the entire season with them Is this a good spot for him to bring that value up?
2: I think so. I like this. I have drafted Joey Gallo in more than one spot already this offseason, and I am happy with this landed spot. Yeah, I'm in the boat, Will, too. We
3: all heard that, right? I
1: think think I've got two (laughs) spots of Gallo as well. So (laughs) Wow.
3: Okay. Okay. Continue.
2: Yeah. I like this. Minnesota is top third for home runs for lefties as far as ballpark factors go not that he needs a ballpark factor like with some of the other rules changes things we've talked about or schedule changes earlier i think the shift ban overblown especially for guys like joey gallo i know it seems every time he comes up to bat he hits a line drive to right center field and it's caught by the second baseman being out there that's not the case. It happens like four times a season. And those are really the ones we're going to get. He does. It, it's not going to be a big boost to these guys' batting averages. I, I brought it up like months ago when the offseason first began. And then I went back and looked at, at the studies I had read over the past year. And yeah, we're looking at one hit per team per week. Even if Joey Gallo gets all of them, you're then you're talking that 50 points that Crash Davis told us about. That's the absolute maximum. That's if one guy gets every hit that an entire team is going to get with the shift rules changes. It's not going to happen. It's not going to be that big a deal, especially if we start seeing these left fielders moving over to right center field, which I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of, That'd it's a wild. huge risk because then if they do go the other way, we're talking at least a triple, maybe an inside the park home run. Yeah. But I heard Steve Phillips on with Ariel Cohen on to beat the shift this week. And Steve Phillips said, but you, I, I guarantee the Tampa Bay Rays are going to try it. It was great. <laughs> That's so, awesome, yeah.
1: Someone with a really athletic, really fast third baseman might, might do that on a regular basis. And right. Just tell him sprint back to the wall, get that ball, get it back. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. But I think Joey Gallo, had a down year even for him and he does make better contact than he made over the last season moved around a couple times I think this is a great spot I think he's at minimum strong side of a platoon give me his 400 plate appearances and 400 plate appearances he give us 25 home runs
1: Will, from your reaction earlier you are in disagreement here so please let's hear Uh, your thoughts on Joey Gallo
3: Kevin's a smart guy I don't know. You got a couple of rosters too. I just I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if my thing is that okay, we I can see that the late power could be really nice. You plug him in the DC half a week and he's got a good matchup or a couple of righties on the schedule that are soft. My thing is where he's going right now. I think he's around pick five hundred. And so you look at who else is going. I like Sal Frelick more than Joey Gallo. I like Harold Ramirez more. I probably like Josh Altman more. Maybe even Akil Badu more. So I think with the signing, he's going to move up, I would think. So then he'll be above all those guys. So I just think I'm going to go a different direction. this the batting average makes me nervous. I think it, it does sink you. I think, like I said, if it's a DC and you're curating – you know how much you're using, but that's easier said than done. I just, it feels like there's other options, but maybe we're sitting here in the next year and you guys are telling me, haha, because he hit 32 home runs for the Twins.
1: Hey, just pair him, pair him with new teammate Luis Arise and you're, you have yeah, two I guess. serviceable, an
3: attendee and a couple other guys. and no, then just they, this- maybe we're back to if you
1: can, <laughs> if you pair, it's the Gallo pillow, right? If you have Gallo <laughs> with, on a rise, who gives you no power, and he gives you the runs, and he gives you the average. Gallo gives you the power, yeah. and maybe he chips in next year, like five or seven bags as well. Because oh, now over. you're yeah. sweet talking I'm me. Stretching. Now I'm you're stretching. sweet
3: talking me. All right, hey, you give me seven stolen bases, I'm in. No, <laughs> I
2: think I'm not certain on this. I it's think time it was for my Kevin first Gladiator stolen
3: bases. This this is a
2: horrible confession.
3: all right here we go here we go here we go i
2: think it was my first gladiator but i'm not certain about that but when outfield dried up i decided i had enough of a batting average cushion i was really strong in batting average that for my four and five outfielders i went gallo and bubba thompson
1: yes you did because i was mad you picked bubba thompson
3: wow (laughs) kevin i cannot believe i'm not going to be able to repeat that to anybody (laughs) i can't even say that i heard that that's wild All right. right. I can't wait to see how that team does.
1: Me. (laughs) That's the beauty of the Gladiator. You don't have to. You can just wait until October and then check it it out. All right. Let's go. We got the last thing that kind of broke today or a mix of like yesterday and today. The Boston Red Sox, they had some DFAs go out. They, they, DFA'd prospect, and I use that in quotations as well. Jeter Downs, who of course was part of the Mookie Bets tr- trade with the Los Angeles Dodgers. They also DFA'd earlier today, as we're recording this on Friday, first baseman Eric Hosmer, who they are paying $0 to <laughs> anyway, and they still DFA'd him. Will, do you see this? Do you see either one of these guys? And Jeter Downs has not looked good as a prospect, at least in the last year and a half or so. They've obviously soured on him, needed to open up a 40 man roster spot same thing with Hosmer do you see either one of these guys becoming fantasy viable once again with a new team
3: there's always a chance but I would be surprised so I'm not betting on it Jeter Downs it looks like he forgot how to hit or just simply can't hit advanced minor league pitching so I can't imagine what he would look like against the Jacob DeGroms and Shane McClanahan's like He might just be a flame out, but there's always a chance. Like What I look for with these guys is who picks them up, who's willing to take a chance on these guys, who sees something that maybe they can work with. Hosmer, I think, what are you getting? Maybe a little bit of batting average, but we're not playing in ground ball leagues. So I think we got to leave him for those leagues. So I think it's just two passes for me. Kevin can tell me maybe there's something there.
1: Hosmer is the one I alluded to that could get picked up by the ace. (laughs) Shout out to Carlos Marcano, who is really fearing that situation happening for his They got to
3: let Ryan know to play. They got to let him just (laughs) play. Come on now, don't block him.
1: They can't. I mean, he rule five. He's he's at least going to be on the roster.
3: I know. I don't want to see him tossed on the bench and then we don't even know what we really have. I want to see him get full run but
1: we'll see. Yeah, Hausberg's is situ- is a curious situation. I put this out on Twitter too. I didn't I feel like I'm more confused now after some of the answers I got. But he that has sounds, a no that trade. That sounds accurate. Yeah. yeah. He he has a no trade clause. It got activated once he got traded from San Diego to Boston. And now that he's DFA'd, obviously a team can figure out a trade for him knowing that San Diego's picking up the whole tab of his contract, but he has the no trade clause. So can he utilize the no trade clause to basically force himself to become a free agent and then get his pick of where he wants to go or does a claim of a dfa not the same thing as a trade if somebody claims them and they don't actually make a trade and they just take them can he block that i don't think it, he, I,
3: I don't think by the time it. this
1: comes out we'll have an answer because yeah. he'll have cleared the waivers we'll find out where that what where he ends up or if he becomes a free agent but it's something something i've been thinking about today that i <laughs> i'm, I'm, I'm can't wait for this episode to come out. So I'll have an a- answer for that finally. But Hosmer leaves, he was slated to be the DH in Boston, but he's a first baseman by trade. And yes, I laugh at that because it's ridiculous. As a Red Sox fan, a lot of things of this offseason have been ridiculous in that realm. Kevin, this means Tristan Casas is having everyday plate appearances for my Red Sox. Are you quicker with the trigger on him, or you think that they're going to make another move or they're going to still find a way to share time with Cassis.
2: That depends, Adam. And I'm going to defer to you a little bit here. That depends on if we believe chain bloom. I don't
0: <laughs> Now
2: it's I don't like a believe I'm anything, any Jim
3: around there, these parts right now, Kevin, uh. but, but
2: <laughs> this seems like a situation where I don't know if there is a, Reason he would say this if this wasn't the case. And this is his quote Our roster isn't complete yet, but as we build our club, we feel it's important to give Tristan a clear lane and that carrying two left handed hitting first basemen would leave us short in other areas. I don't see why they would say that now. If a great opportunity came up and somebody was available with the money they want to spend, as we've seen this offseason, that's not happening. Contracts are high and years are high for these contracts. So I think Costas is going to get the run here, at least to start the season. He's going to be given the opportunity to succeed or fail on his own. But I think he's going to have that opportunity either way to begin the season. Yeah, I think I, I give him a little bit of a bump here. I know it was Eric Hosmer, but he that was an issue as far as playing time for Tristan Casas. So, yeah, I think I'm a little more interested than I was.
1: The thing is, even if, if they're not done, right, even if there is somebody for him, them to sign, maybe another middle infielder or another outfielder, they have a full 40-man roster right now. So I'm assuming that these DFAs had a lot to do with bringing in Yoshida and then any other moves that they might have wanted to make to protect other guys. They didn't protect anybody in the Rule 5 draft. They lost three players. <laughs> so that wasn't the reason for this. I and mean, it came long after that. But they've got... Obviously, they still have Bobby Dahlbeck on the roster. They still and they have Tristan Castas. So they have two guys who can play first base, do play first base. And obviously, they a righty and a lefty. So that is a nice mix and match right there. I don't see them bringing in another corner infielder. That's not the direction they're going to go. So they're not going to bring in more competition. So I will take what Bloom said. I'll take everything he says right now with a grain of salt. But that 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 does it jives with what you with their 40 man roster right now all right i think we finally hit on pretty much every everything that might have happened i just checked the wire and i haven't seen anything new come in while we've been talking so let's get in an hour and a half into the episode we're finally gonna be able to talk about the thing we were we going to go about. a little long here you might go you might have already gone a little <laughs> long <laughs> and that's perfectly fine we're gonna go a little bit longer right after this second break All right, we are back and you're still listening to On The Wire. I am Adam Howe, joined as always by Kevin Hastings, and we are lucky to be joined by Will Garofalo to talk to us. Not about player news anymore. We've gone through that. Let's move on to some ADP talk. And we are at a point in the season, plenty of drafts have happened. We are halfway through December. A lot of DCs, a lot of best balls, a lot of these gladiator drafts have happened. So we have a lot of ADP to work with. And these ADPs, like it or not, unless you're in a main event, (laughs) they are going to like dictate a lot of what we see drafts go, how drafts go through all the way through March. And I say that because, of course, we see all the draft boards from main events as they happen in real time. They happen at the very end of March. And people don't care what ADP is there. But ADP is very influential. So we're going to talk about it a little bit more. And again, I will say, if you're not filtering your ADP, especially if you're looking on the NFPC platform, you're doing it extremely wrong, especially since the fact that We're going to be talking about a lot of these. And over the course of the last month or so, there's been about 50 or so gladiators. And there's only been, as Kevin said earlier, 11 draft champions, which is usually the standard that we use for ADP, right? So if you are not filtering those out, you are getting a wildly different ADP. And if you are in a draft room, that is not being filtered out either. So please be aware of that as you are looking at ADP in your rankings. As you're drafting, we talked about these gladiators. Of course, we talked about those a couple weeks ago. And for those who still don't know, these are 23 rounds on the NFC platform where you're drafting 23 players, and they're all in an active roster spot. They're all being played throughout the course of the season. There are no benches. There are no. There is no Fab. It is literally a set it and forget it. And we'll see how it works out. But it is five by five. It's not a best ball. It's not points based. It is still categories. Well, you've done, you told us before, you've done a couple of these already. You're at, you've done two or three, if I'm not mistaken? Two, two, yeah. You've done two of these. I'm in my third. Kevin, you've done three already. I'm curious to see how it's been working out for each of you guys. Like, how has the strategy for these gladiators differed from... That we'll just strictly talk about with the draft and holds. We'll leave best balls for a completely different yeah. episode. So, compare the gladiators and draft and holds. I'm talking about DC specifically, since they're both 15 teamers, but you can also lump in the NFBC 50s, which are the 12 team equivalents.
3: Yeah, there, there's one or two differences, but honestly, I draft pretty much the same. I draft really boring and I try to just build a strong base of production. It sounds cliche, but I'm trying to draft as many good players as possible. And then obviously, at some point, those players dry up. And then I'm just pivoting to like playing time. And I try to just so gladiators, the main difference is you got a lot less inventory, right? So I feel like the lottery shots that I'm taking are almost non existent. Like each draft, I basically take one lottery shot. So I took Jack Flaherty in the first gladiator and then Jordan Walker in the second. And so maybe I'm hindering my upside in that case. That could be possible, but I just feel like playing time is going to be especially king in the Gladiators. So I'm drafting for playing time anyways, but that would be the main difference would be I'm almost minimizing my lottery shots, prospect shots, whatever you want to call it. When we're talking gladiators,
1: yeah, I think that's a common mentality going into these. Is playing time is key. Kevin, mm-hmm. have you found yourself mixing and matching your uh, in your three drafts that you've completed different strategies, or have you been strictly strictly staying on the same path?
2: I've switched it up a little bit, but in general, kind of, I agree with Will. I have taken. Couple of chances. I think it was the second gladiator of the three I did. I ended up with Byron Buxton as my first outfielder. And I feel like that makes or breaks my team right there. (laughs) He tends to do that. It may (laughs) not. And when I say makes or breaks, him staying healthy may not mean the rest of the team is any good. But whether or not Byron Buxton stays healthy for a good portion of the season, Is really going to, when he's my outfielder one, that's that's going to have a lot going on here. I think, you know, what's interesting, I was just thinking this as you and Will are talking, and it's pretty obvious, but I hadn't thought of it in this way. We think of 50 round draft and holds as contests of attrition. At the end of the season, we don't always have full lineups. We're using less than half that many players <laughs> to play the exact same format. That's just that's insane. It
1: really well, there, Kevin. That, that is
2: insane. <laughs> it's be, but it's so much it's fun. Be spooky. So much fun. I think that goes into it. Part of my strategy, right? Realizing that everybody is going to lose players. I think that's why I haven't jumped on the closers early train. Think we're going to lose players. We're going to lose hitters. From our lineup, I think whoever wins the overall in in this Gladiator, I don't think it's going to be someone that went two closers early for sure, and maybe How not dare you? one closer. How dare you? How dare you, Kevin? Because <laughs> so just for example, looking at my last Gladiator draft board, and Edwin Diaz was the first closer off the board in the first round. That player then took Daniel Bard in the sixth round. I have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Vinny Pasquantino and an in in those rounds. Now, I think I'm better off hoping my Jose LeClerc and another closer later hit than I am having so-called guaranteed, hopefully for him, guaranteed saves in the bank instead of hitters in that spot. I really think that the overall winner is going to hit on late closers because they're going to have more quality hitters maybe even another quality starter earlier in the draft in those spots. It's different to me than in draft champions where I have been a proponent of taking closers early, not first round, but I was on that third round train last season and I still am this season as well, but where we do have fallback options (laughs) in later rounds to put in our lineup when things happen. I think I'm more concerned with quality hitting and then, trying to hit on pitching starters and closers later.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to, and I haven't really done it I haven't gone deep enough into it, but like what you're saying, like you're pairing off those picks, right? Where I could have this closer and this hitter, or I could have this hitter and this closer, like later on, and starting to compare which one would I rather end up having. I find myself I have hit on the closers early train on I think at least two out of the three drafts that I've done with it ends up pushing all of my starters way down. And like this mm-hmm. one, this one I just did, I think Nick Lodolo is my SP one and it puts me in a more of a vicarious situation where I'm a little bit more worried about my rotation, obvious for obvious reasons. And would I be better off grabbing an ACE in the second round or the third round? Because they are getting pushed down because hitters are going higher instead of getting that closer in the second or third round. And anchoring that rotation in that way. Pitching is so volatile throughout the season. As you said, Kevin, we're all going to lose players. It seems as though it doesn't really matter which direction you go. You're always going to feel, you're going to feel hurt somewhere at some point. And it's going to be interesting to see who puts the pieces together the right way. And we won't know until September.
2: Yeah, this is going to be fun to follow. However many of these leagues, people end up drafting. I don't think it is something I am going to forget about until the end of the season. I think I am going to follow these a little bit and try to keep track of what strategies and philosophies seem to be working as the season goes on.
1: When we talk about these closer situation, Will, is there a certain, is there a position in which you are focusing on the most, whether it be pitching or hitting, it doesn't matter, that maybe you'll continue to do or maybe you'll switch it up in a a future draft
3: yeah if, if we're talking about an overall contest i'm trying to prioritize steals at catcher and third base so that's obviously just a select few players. There's two people. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much Ho- Jose Ramirez and Manny and Machado <laughs> and Varsho and JTR. Yeah, but if I can get one of them in the first and one of them in the third or the fourth, depending on what format it is, I like that a lot. But third base, definitely. I think that there's an elite tier that you want to grab. Otherwise, you're just going to be playing in the Ryan McMahon territory, which is fine for some people. You can maybe grab Matt Chapman a little bit later than that elite tier tier but after that he's the bridge to me and then outfield I think outfield I think common perception was there's a ton of outfielders and you don't want to fill it up too early I think that is totally gone now I think that the word is out that you want to fill up outfield because it does get shallow and dry up. If you can add an outfielder who steals you 25 bases like J-Rod or Acuna, I think that sets you up with such a nice base for your draft. So those are what I prioritize. I'm with you guys on the relievers, like what Kevin was saying. Jeff Zimmerman put a tweet out about it. It's going to be somebody who hits like Daniel Bard and Gregory Soto for this last year. That's somebody who will win this Gladiator. So my first Gladiator, I prioritize relievers and then the second one, I pushed it on that, and it's a little risky because you hope you get that David Bednard, but do you take him in the seventh or the sixth or push it to the eighth? But there's still some guys, and you now with more news coming out, there's a couple more guys coming in. Go get your Trevor Mays.
1: Yeah, get them now while you still can at the right prices. <laughs> Go get your yeah. Trevor Mays.
3: <laughs> yeah, but... I don't know. Second base is interesting. It seems like maybe I'm just going to be shopping in that rebound tier of Brandon Lau and Cattell Marte and Jorge Polanco and Jonathan India. Because if you want to take Altuve or Marcus Simeon, you got to take them early instead of a power bat at outfield or a starter. Starting pitching, I think you're looking in that fourth, fifth, sixth round, seventh, eighth. There's so many good starters in there. So there's my draft sheet.
1: There we go. Make a recording of that, guys. All right, we're here to talk about ADP too. So let's uh, let's shoot down a little bit. I gave you guys a list of uh, 10 players that are going earlier in Gladiators compared to Draft Champions. As I mentioned earlier, between November 15th and December 14th. So in that 30-day period, There have been 11 completed DCs and 50 completed Gladiators. That number might be up by the time you're listening to this episode, but still just about five times as many Gladiators. And of course, the player pool, not as deep in these Gladiators. So take that with a grain of salt there, but you could still at least talk about the first 23 rounds and compare 10 guys that are going earlier in Gladiators include Adam Wainwright, Roldis Chapman, Jimmy Hergut, Noah Syndergaard, we talked about earlier, Elias Diaz, Andrew Painter, Max Kepler, Christian Betancourt, Craig Kimbrell, and Jose Trevino. So obviously a lot of relievers in this batch. And on the other side of things, there's ten, the top 10 players that have the biggest difference in ADP. They're going later in Gladiators rather than in DCs, Include Shea Languliers. We got Bryce Harper for obvious reasons, Aldo Boutre probably for obvious reasons, Francisco Alvarez, Luis Uris. Miguel Vargas, Jordan Walker prospect and Byron Buxton, Matt Mervis and Edwin Cabrera, Edward Cabrera. So obviously a lot of younger guys there, a lot of rookies or a lot of prospects listed in that second list. Is there anyone in either one of these lists, Kevin, I'll start with you, that you don't really agree with? Like you don't think these guys should be going either higher or lower in, in Gladiators compared to where they're going in draft champions?
2: Yeah, I'd like to point a couple of things out real quick. As far as the guys going later in gladiators, two of them are presumed catchers that right now are UT only. So if you draft them in gladiator, they are your UT. You will not be able to move them into a catcher slot. So that makes perfect sense. And then Aroldis Chapman going earlier in gladiator ADPs, that's my fault. I actually took him at 233 <laughs> in
0: one week. Please, Kevin! Not,
2: well, here, I went back and I looked at that draft board. It's the same draft board I just referenced, and nobody cares about this league. But for reference, so these are the relievers that went before I took a role as Chapman. Dylan Floro, Kyle Finnegan, Giovanni Gallegos, Taylor Rogers. The okay. next, now, this did leave Jorge Lopez for Will, got him in the same round that I took Chapman, And then there's not another reliever taken till six rounds later, and that's Evan Phillips. We're getting to a point. These guys are all getting pushed up so far that at this point, whether it's a Roldis Chapman or someone else, relievers are going way earlier, as you mentioned, in in these gladiators than in the drafts champions. But that is a a huge difference. That's 150 picks ahead of his draft champions ADP where I took him there. That's going to affect it a little bit. (laughs) It's crazy to really answer your question. The one here that's really intriguing to me that I don't know. The obvious reason is Adam Wainwright. I'm not sure why he is going so much earlier in gladiators than in draft champions. And I was curious if uh, either of you guys had a theory on that one.
3: I would just guess that it seems like he has safe innings. So in a DC people might be looking more upside at that point. But with the gladiators shortened up, you're looking for your what sp six maybe seven to be somebody who you feel like can throw thirty times is what my guess would be.
1: Yeah, that's he's the most he has the biggest difference from DCs going sixty picks earlier in in the gladiators compared to DCs. And but I agree with Will exactly what exactly why I would have I actually probably I think I might have some exposure to Adam Wainwright in one of my gladiators for that exact reason. Yeah. I don't know that I took him that much higher, (laughs) 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 but yeah, that would have been my logical reason for getting somebody like Wainwright as like my final pitcher in my rotation as my ninth pitcher, maybe even my eighth pitcher, just because you knew what you were going to, you had a general sense of what you were going to get. You were pretty sure he was going to hold up the entire year. He was going to get you anywhere between twenty-seven and thirty starts, or thereabouts, and he's going to rack up the innings.
3: Yeah, what sticks out to me is Andrew Painter. To me, it seems like he should be—it should be the reverse. He should be going earlier in DCs because to me, as somebody you stash and you're hoping—I mean, he's had a meteoric rise. He rose three levels this last year, but we're talking about 30, 40 innings in Double A. So is where he capped out at. So, I guess maybe a forty innings at AAA, and then he comes up. But he his max was one hundred and three innings last year. He's a twenty year old pitcher. He will be this upcoming year. I feel like they're not going to stretch him really hard. He might be comes up and is a bullpen piece or like that David Price when he first came up, utilized in the back end. So I'm I love the arm, but I think he's a twenty twenty four guy. I'm really surprised that. We're talking, or even in the three hundreds for him. But
2: I, I think wrong. he's. I think this is a. There's more than a handful of players that have done several of these leagues, and I think this is a high upside shot for maybe we. They're looking at Spencer Strider, right? He could come yeah. out if he gives me eighty innings as a starter the second half of the season. It could be a game changer for my entire team. I don't think players that have one or two of these teams are probably making that move that makes sense
1: also something to consider is the fact that in that time period he was actually only drafted seven times in these gladiators so his adp is only based on those seven selections out of like the 50 or so drafts that had been selected so if you average it out to the times he was not selected at all you could still get him in the final round of your of most gladiators as he's not being selected most of the and time. then
2: a, another note, a couple of these catcher twos, as we would refer to them, they have to be taken in the top 23 rounds. That's not always going to happen in a draft champions league. Yeah. That's why we see guys like Christian Betancourt and Jose Trevino on this list. The solid catcher twos, I think in 15 team leagues. So they're going to be drafted higher. They have to be taken in the 23rd round or earlier.
1: And unless you're grabbing a VAR show and moving them to your outfield, nobody's grabbing more than two catchers in this situation. So, yeah, another reason to d- pound the drum and <laughs> remember to filter your ADPs or a lot of these things change as you always filter out your best balls so that you don't mess up your reliever ADPs and, and multi-position eligibility guys in the NFVC platform. These gladiators are doing the same thing specifically with the positions that we just talked about.
3: I guess Strider threw 60 innings in A in 21. So maybe people just, like you said, think that he's just going to follow that path.
1: It, it also could be thinking exactly what we talked about with somebody like Bo Naylor, who we're okay with them starting off in yeah. A and then coming up because you feel as though what you're going to get, it might not be the volume but you're getting quality over quantity in in that situation. That's what you're comparing it to.
2: If you feel strongly that he's going to be in the starting rotation in the second half of the season, what's the difference between, or not what's the difference, but isn't that better than a pitcher with less talent Mm -hmm. that you may be only getting for the first half of the season anyway? You're reversing which part of the season you're getting him, but he's probably a better pitcher. Pitcher than the guys that are in a rotation to begin the season being taken at that in the point in the draft. spot. Sure, yeah.
1: All right, guys, and we know we've gone long. Let's just keep going longer. Yeah, let's um, keep the, rolling. The reason we talk, we put this the crutch of the episode as well. We're going to talking about ADP movers. These are the see. These are some guys per position that have moved, and I'm going to strictly utilizing ADP from those 11 draft champions that have gone down in the last month or so i'm going to give you guys a couple of players at each position that have moved either up or down and just get you guys take on them and as to if you again agree if you're willing to take the jump in their adp or if you're going to let them pass you by if they're too rich for your blood situation and any other insight that you guys might have on these guys and why they might be moving so gonna start with relievers as guys sign. I left out a couple of guys obvious for obvious reasons. They've either signed, we know where the, we know their roles a little bit better, but these three guys have still moved around, even though nothing is really nothing major has changed around them. A couple of guys that have moved up, we have Brandon Hughes, he's moved up almost four rounds, starting at 417, now at ADP around 363 in Chicago for the Cubs. Dylan Floro of Miami has moved up just over three rounds himself going from 330 to 285. And then on the flip side or this Chapman has moved down in DCs. Obviously Kevin has not drafted him there in the, in that <laughs> format yet going from 296 all the way down to 374. That's a just over a three round jump down as well. So Will, is there anything that kind of stands out for these three guys as far as like how you feel why they might have been moving around what what has the market mean in comparison the, again sorry this is adp compared to from where they were for the first a month or plus of draft so october early november compared to where their adp is now from mid november to mid december
3: Yeah. The guys who are moving up, Brandon Hughes and Dylan Floro, it seems like maybe that's just a product of relievers going off the board, signing other places, and it's seeming like their percentage to close is rising. Neither of those guys are really my type, my cup of tea. If I'm going to take a chance, I'd rather just take a chance on Chapman later. I'm still taking some bats around that area in the D.C. just because I feel like bats do really dry up at a certain point. So yeah, I'd go with Chapman at a lower ADP there, and I think he'll probably keep dropping unless he signs somewhere. But you love Brandon Hughes, it sounds like, Adam. I don't <laughs> know. I don't, maybe I need to look back into him and take another look. It seems no, like...
1: The- I'll just echo your exact, sit- your exact set like I just the more relievers that sign elsewhere granted yeah. Roxberger went with the Cubs you got that shout out in there yeah. earlier but I think that Hughes has especially in the late 300s still has that solid chance of Holt grabbing that job early so that's why yeah I've been going after Brandon Hughes in a couple places Kevin anybody in there that kind of anything else that you've seen out of these guys then I what I think is the pretty obvious comments that will made regarding their situations.
2: Yeah, I agree with everything both of you guys said. couple of spots where closers or relievers with the capability to close have not went. So we're getting more confident in the guys that are already there. And with Chapman, the longer he goes without signing, the more likely it becomes maybe he doesn't play baseball in 2023. So or at I, least I agree the US. with everything. Exactly. So I agree with everything you guys said
1: all right let's move on to some starters then we'll stick with pitching Kyle Gibson who obviously did sign a contract with Baltimore he has moved up about three and a half rounds still going in the mid 500s 534 Matthew Boyd signing with Detroit he moves up from 557 to 490 up four and a half rounds himself Sixto Sanchez moves from 488 to 536 he actually moves down just over three rounds as does Tyler Wells he moves down about four and a half rounds as well. Nothing really has changed with Sixto and Tyler Wells' situation, except for the fact that Tyler Wells got a new teammate in Kyle Gibson. Kevin, is do you think that the jumps that Gibson and Boyd have made based on their signings is warranted?
2: I do. I think with Boyd, it's a place he's comfortable, good pitcher's ballpark. For Gibson, I don't think he could have landed in much of a better spot that besides the changes made in left field, the Baltimore pitching staff in general was really good last season, or at least vastly improved. And none of it, none of these guys were big names. The, their biggest names were injured for most of the year. It was Tyler Wells. So I think I, I love the spot for Kyle Gibson and I'm more interested now, even if he does take a bit of a bump, he will, he probably already has. And so. Yeah, I love this spot for him. Yeah, Boyd, I don't think he... Probably could have landed in a much better spot because he wasn't going to go into a rotation with a contending team right off the bat. A place he's comfortable, good ballpark, nice spot for him to reestablish his value for hopefully for him another contract later.
1: Will, are you looking at taking advantage of the drops that we're seeing from Sixto or Tyler Wells in these situations? Or are you more likely to pay up for the cost increase that we're seeing at a Gibson and Boyd?
3: I was just waiting for Kevin to tell us he's drafted six o Sanchez in a couple of places.
2: I don't think I have in a couple, but I probably have. <laughs> Where it's I really, I have him in a couple of dynasty leagues, and in those, you leagues, don't have I'm, control over that. Yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm going down with this ship. I will hold on to him till he's out of baseball. I'm not taking go. pennies on the dollar for it. So yeah. I definitely am rooting for him.
3: Yeah, no, I'm not buying those dips. I'm definitely with Kevin that I'm interested in Kyle Gibson and Matthew Boyd. I think Gibson, I mean, I've been preaching innings and playing time. You look at the innings he's posted last year, 168, year before 182, shortened season 67, year before that 160, year before that 197. So He seems like he can stay healthy. I know pitchers, you're healthy till you're not. So maybe this is the year he breaks, but I hope not because I've already drafted him. So I got him in a couple spots and uh, Matthew Boyd, they say he went back to an old changeup grip with Seattle, helped him out. And so now second year coming back off that major surge, I think he could be a decent dart throw too. The innings, I'm definitely favoring Kyle Gibson over Matthew Boyd
1: though. Yeah, all these guys going in a general range now of Mm -hmm. the high 400s, mid 500s. I feel like I'm, I'm like putting up a sign for a new housing development or whatever, starting in the high three hundreds. But we've got yeah, Gibson at five thirty five is still the highest one. Five thirty four, actually neck and neck now with Sixto Sanchez. They've pretty much flip flopped or come together at the same ADP with Tyler Wells at five thirty four. They're literally going back to back in drafts. Matthew Boyd still leading the pack though at four ninety. I'm pretty sure I'm taking Gibson. Over the pack as well.
2: The sneaky thing here with Gibson is we don't think of him as a strikeout guy, and he's not. But 150 to 160 strikeouts at that point in a draft is awesome. doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. is amazing, and that's what he's done that the past three or four years, including prorating the shortened season.
1: And the way that Baltimore is playing nowadays, yeah, like you said, Kevin, couldn't really come up with a better place. All right, let's move over some bats. I've got a lot of outfielders here. Don't need to touch on all of them, though. Will you have plenty of notes, so you might want to, so you don't waste your notes here.
3: No, no notes are wasted. It's all goes up in the memory bank. Yeah, there exactly. you go.
1: There you go. Yeah. All right. So a couple of guys that are moving up and down, kind of alternate between these guys. James Outman goes from 622 to 511, moving up seven and a half rounds. He's our biggest mover here. And then prospect Brennan Davis moving down from 549 to 649, going down six and a half rounds. Trey Thompson, also in L.A., he moves up to 466, about four rounds higher than he had been going in earlier drafts. And then Trevor Larnack. this is prior to the Joey Gallo signing that just happened today. He had already been moving down in drafts, going to 520 currently, that's down three rounds than what we saw in early drafts. Nolan Jones had been moving up five rounds, going from 491 to 419. Oscar Colas, we talked about earlier a little bit, 495 to 404, moving up about over six rounds. And then you have Joe Adele and Tommy Fan each moving down about three and a half rounds, with Adele landing around 432 currently and FAM at 363. So, FAM is still going the earliest out of everybody I listed here, but his stock is definitely going down as he still hasn't found a place to sign. How far down does he have to go before either one of you guys are interested in grabbing Fam without knowing where his landing spot's going to be?
2: He's almost there for me. He's going to land somewhere, I think. I don't think he'll end up overseas. I think he'll end up with a major league club, and we're looking at double-digit home runs and stolen bases, quite likely. He's The flip side of that is we can probably get a guy like Michael Taylor a little later who was in that same boat, but we're looking at double digit home runs, double digit stolen bases, and not a lot of excitement. Just he's there, but that those double digits of both of those categories being there is very valuable at that spot. I, th- I, I think that's a pretty good spot for him.
1: Yeah. I'm very curious to know where fam goes And I fam is somebody I'm a little afraid he'll end up going overseas. I still have this memory of his comments he made when he signed with Cincinnati last year where he, the synopsis of it is he was out for himself. Like he was going to do whatever he needed to do to put his stats up so he could make himself look better. And then hopefully get a, a contract that'll get him more money in the You're future. You're scaring obviously. me. You're that scaring me right out. now. I, but I, I like fact,
3: Tommy Fan, but yeah, he might go get his money overseas. He's just going to get
1: oh, no. where he can get it. He tried it this year. It didn't work out in one of the best hitting places. Did, did he you could. like
3: him in Boston?
1: I didn't mind him, but he didn't play. Yeah. He didn't do anything.
3: He got hot there, didn't he? Yeah, he he had had about a week,
2: two week period during the season. Yeah,
3: and so that's the thing. I think I wonder if he's able to get with the team. There's maybe an outside chance he hits at the top of an order, but and you got me kind of second guessing myself right now. Maybe he is going. That almost makes too much sense. And then you got the clubhouse stuff too. Like it, some teams really don't like that. You see the Seattle stuff with Jesse Winker. Like they came out and whoever, whatever truth that was. But the
1: thing with Fam, he can't remake himself if he goes overseas. If he goes overseas, he's there. He's gonna finish his career over there. He's thirty four years old now. He'll be thirty five by the time the season starts. He's not gonna get a one year deal, two year deal over there, and then come back and say I'm reborn. I've learned some stuff and what have you. So. If he goes overseas, if if you have him in a dynasty league, (laughs) you might as well drop him now because he's not going back. He's not coming back. Adam, you're
0: hurting
3: him. I'm just saying. You're hurting him.
1: (laughs) Tommy, if you're listening, don't go overseas. (laughs) We don't want you to go overseas, but we know it's an option.
3: Hang around, Tommy. Hang around. We need your double digit. Come on.
1: All right, so the rest of these guys are pretty much going in the same realm with the exception of, obviously, prospect Brennan Davis going a whole lot later, but everybody else is going somewhere between four, in the mid-400s to the early 500s. Kevin, is there anybody else that kind of stands out to you as far as like where they're moving makes you either more or less interested?
2: Not really. I'm, I know why Nolan Jones is going five rounds, but I, I'm not really interested. baiting
1: Colorado hitters all around.
2: Well, definitely in weekly in a gladi- lineup leagues. Sure. And in a gladiator. Yeah. But it, there is a spot for these guys late in, in draft champions leagues and leagues where we can make the moves at least twice a week and definitely daily. But, and he is a type of player where it, the fact that Colorado is great for bab up and great for runs, therefore, great for all of the counting stats and Maybe not as great for home runs as we tend to think. I think that can help him, but I'm still not interested. It's the Rockies, and he's a young player, right?
1: (laughs) He's way too young. He's under 32. (laughs) He should not be on that team. Trevor Larnack has already been moving down three rounds, and that's before Joey Gallo enters the fray. Do you see him moving down even further and... Is this set up going past pick 500 now and outfield being what it is, Larnick, somebody that you'd be interested in grabbing as, especially in a DC as a reserve pick?
3: yeah i suppose the the price drops i think the price will keep going down for sure especially with the gallo signing you're gonna you're gonna have to do some gymnastics on the roster resource page to get him in that lineup or maybe i don't know maybe they trade max kepler i've seen some rumors about that but i don't know how valid that is he's got some power he's got some feel for the zone can take a walk walks about 10 percent. so i like that but he strikes out so much that i don't He's never going to be more than a platoon bat, I don't think, and so I think you can just go other places. Like I'd take a chance on James Outman before I'm looking at Trevor Larnick. I think you might be able to get a little bit of power and speed combination from Outman, and you're just looking for some plate appearances. It's going to tell us what the Dodgers do, right? I think they probably make one move, I would guess, and I think that pushes Thompson to a more of a platoon role. I'd like to see Outman get a shot. There was a RotoWire podcast with Tim McCloud on. I would imagine he was waxing poetic about him because I got a little bit of that taste in Arizona <laughs> first pitch. So that's another reason to go out there and get these little tidbits that the industry leaders are uh, thinking about. So I'm good with James Outman. I'll take, a, take my dart throw there in, in this range.
1: Kevin, you're in agreement? Like, if, if the Dodgers actually make another move in their outfield, and right now, Roster Resource has Thompson and Outman both starting. Granted, Outman in a a strong side of a platoon, but Thompson's playing every day, according to them over there. Which one are you, obviously Thompson going a little bit higher than Outman even, they're both getting pushed up, Thompson a little bit more. Which one do you have a little bit more confidence in?
2: I have more confidence in Outman, I think. Remember, Thompson left the Dodgers and then came back, and it was short side of a platoon guy. I, I don't, think they let him leave and then brought him back as a short side platoon guy and then now all of a sudden they think he's an everyday player so that's what's interesting for me with thompson i like him when he's in there he's a great dfs guy but it's i just i don't think he's probably got the playing time i'm more confident in that for outman the way things look right now
1: all right let's group Some corner infielders together for you guys to mull over. Mike Moustakis left for dead in Cincinnati. He is now moving up three and a half rounds compared to early drafts, going at 593, just shy of 600. Dominic Smith, same thing, moving up five rounds. Still doesn't have a home quite yet in the same vein as Tommy Pham. He's going up around 624 currently. Yuli Gouliel, who hasn't found a new spot after leaving Houston and getting replaced by Abreu, he's gone down six and a half rounds compared to early drafts. So he's at 568 currently. And then Miguel Sano, Also getting replaced by Joey Gallo to an extent, currently going at 646. That is down three and a half rounds compared to where we saw him in early drafts in October and early November. Will, is there between the guys that are moving down again or they don't have set roles anywhere yet? Are you looking to take a chance on them if you need a backup, backup, backup corner infielder lately in DCs?
3: Man, add like four more lates to that. It's (laughs) dicey right here. So I guess if you want a little bit of batting average, maybe Yuli. Gurio, but it's pretty. You want the
1: opposite of that, then you you go for
3: exactly. If you're doing your Joey Gallo and Miguel Sano build, (laughs) sprinkle in Sano. I can't do either of them. I don't think I like it in theory. I could see, close my eyes, and look far away, and maybe you see Miguel Sano in 30 home runs. But the batting average is probably going to kill you. I don't think I can recommend it. I think at this point, I'm taking this is where I'm taking some of those shots. So like a Kyle Manzardo, if I'm looking for first baseman, I'm going to advise maybe a month or two and hope he runs hot and gets called up and then rakes for three, four months.
1: On the other side of that, Kevin, we got Moustakis and Dominic Smith moving up three and a half and five rounds respectively. Again, Smith doesn't have a team yet. I think there's been a lot of rumors as far as how many suitors he might have and what roles he could play with them, but still no pen to paper yet. Mustakis obviously has a team, could not find a way to stay on the field through just about the entire season last year, both going around pick 600. Do you like either one of these guys at these new prices or do they need to move back down for you to be considering them?
2: Yeah, I think they got to move down this where we've been talking about overseas for Dom Smith all off mm-hmm. season as a possibility and it, when it comes to a point, Will had a perfect note here in the rundown that you could probably do worse than a third, third baseman, like in a draft and hold league than Mike Mustakis at this point. The problem is when you need your third baseman, he's going to be on the IL. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> that that's the issue there. So that's a, the big problem. I'm probably, yeah, too many confessions this draft or this episode. I like Miguel Sano. <laughs> at this spot. Okay. he it's just the power we know it's there right? and okay. the last three seasons he played and we're going to prorate 2020 30 home runs or more last season he had 71 plate appearances missed two months came back for three games and was out again for the rest of the season it was all injuries this he's still a 30 home run bat much better in obp leagues Where at least that double-digit walk rate helps, I definitely interested in him in OBP leagues. But this late in a draft champions league, I think there's a big. He's the exact type of player we're worried about going overseas. But I think where wherever he ends up, it's going to be like it's not going to be the Pirates. I don't think they've already signed 15 corner outfielders this offseason. But a team like that, where he'll slide right into the three or four spot in the lineup and give us 30 home runs, 75 RB, I I think that's highly likely what we see from him if we think the knee is healed.
1: That's fair. I think we found the title of the episode, though. Thank you for that, Kevin. All right. Let's move into the middle infield to the closest out here. We got a couple of guys. Again, all these guys. uh, I I picked these guys not only based on the fact that they were going late in drafts, but I actually picked them based on who's been moving around the most. The biggest differences from the early drafts, late drafts, and they're all draft champions. It just so happens people are not moving around that much in the early, in the first 23 to 30 rounds. And all of these are coming in a lot later as people start looking into doing a little bit more research, doing a little bit more situations. Obviously, as playing time comes a little bit clearer as time goes on. So as you hear all these numbers being rattled off as far as what round and what their ADP is, if you notice that they're all in the not only triple digits but they're all above 350 or that's why. So we got in the middle infield Jonathan Aranda. He's moved up four and a half rounds. He's now at currently going around 466. Bryce Terrain of Milwaukee, he has gone up about 12 rounds and now started off at around 635, now with a little bit more of a opportunity or at least people are hoping they're going to see an opportunity for him. He's going at 459. Jose Barrero going at 595. He's down three and a half rounds compared to his early drafts. And then Cesar Hernandez, who is still yet to sign himself. He's gone down four and a half rounds, currently going down at 690. So, Will, I'm going to have you start with the guys that are moving up. Do you have excitement over these guys that are now pretty much going back to back with Aranda going from 533 to 466, Terrain jumping, leapfrogging him? up to 459 do you have faith that terrain is actually going to play enough and be an impact to grab him at this price
3: yeah he seems like he's the projected second baseman right now so i suppose they could go out make a move maybe they bring in brandon jury and move him around but i do players that are going around this adp rather than terrain like michael massey more in kansas city I think he got unlucky with his home run total last year. There's only four. Jeff Zimmerman put out a good tweet. It was highlighting, like, I think in Cincinnati, it would have been 16 home runs or something like that. Oh, I yeah,
1: saw that. That was amazing. So, yeah,
3: <laughs> so obvi- obviously different, but a road hitting streamer, Michael Massey, I like that. So I guess I just don't really know what we're going to get from Terang. I, it seems like. People are excited about him. I know he's he's a hit tool guy, maybe a little speed, but Jonathan Aranda, I like the hit tool wise. He doesn't really have a defensive place, but I would hope the Rays, smart organization like them, they'll find a way to get that bat in the lineup, whether it's probably not second base but first base or dh because you got brandon Lau there i would think he's going to take up second base as long as his back is healthy but i think aranda could be a, a big batting average boost late in the draft so that that would be my recommendation you, he's got time to grow into some power You might get a handful of steals i'm grabbing him at this new price at 466 i think there's still some room to grow you can you could take him but you're hoping on the pe- the playing time a little bit so there is that
1: kevin is the having the fact that Cesar Hernandez has not signed anywhere are you would you be confident he's found a way to sign somewhere where he becomes the starting second baseman over the last 2 or 3 years from his time in Philadelphia and with Chicago obviously before that being in Cleveland for quite a while do you think he's going to end up signing somewhere where he just finds a place where he can be the starting second baseman in return value especially at pick 690
2: i do but with a little hesitation. I can hear it. Yeah. His, <laughs> uh, and his, he'll be 33 years old this season, and that's not super. Uh, age. R- sure. Right. But the problem is his defense, at least statistically, which we know how reliable that can be and how variable it is, but it's dropped yeah. the last two years. And that's what has kept him in these lineups. He went out and shocked us with 21 home runs in 2021. And then those completely went away in 2022, but all of a sudden he started stealing bases again. So I think I'm comfortable drafting him in this spot, but not having any idea what he's going to give me. It would be great if he would hit that in the middle. If I knew we could count on say 12 home runs and six or seven stolen bases, I'd take that. But it it may be one, maybe the other, maybe neither, but I think at 33 years old, he probably still finds an everyday role. It's just that the fact that his defensive numbers have dropped the last two seasons and pretty dramatically doesn't make that a sure thing.
1: Yeah, and and I flip flop that, of course. He spent most of his time in Philadelphia, only spent that one year in Cleveland. I feel like we had the same conversation about him last offseason, and again, he found his way into a starting gig with a bad team in Washington, and though... He left all of his home runs elsewhere, as you mentioned. We'll see how that works out. But yeah, I don't see Cesar Hernandez as being somebody that ends up, he's not going to, he's going to sign somewhere. I have more confidence in Cesar Hernandez signing with a major league team and in a starting role than I do Dominic Smith signing in the US as we talked about. So Boston, stop it. (laughs) <laughs>
3: uh, I was going to say Sano Boston, so I held back at held least once. Back. I held back once,
1: huh? <laughs> but you didn't. You finally well, you brought it out. Just slip it back in there. Then. <laughs> I'll edit that later. All right, guys. I think that we've hit on a lot of insight here. This is we can sure this is our longest episode ever. Well done, Will, for Go. being part of that. We're, we're in close to the two and a half hour mark. So Kevin, why don't you uh, close us out with any additional words of wisdom you have for those who are deep in draft season?
3: Let me get my popcorn now. Hold on.
2: (laughs) I think it's a lot of things we talked about throughout the show. Just little reminders. I bring this up all the time. All the little things add up to a big thing. And we all know these things that we talk about sometimes we just need reminded we talked about filtering the adps we got to remember that we got to looking at playing time looking at who's coming in when and the different formats and the rules and i think it's really hard especially this time of year when we're really excited we're drafting we're still prepping for drafting but we're already drafting to, to forget some of these things and we just got to have a checklist make sure you're taking everything into consideration as we're making these picks and then i like to bring up our dynasty and keeper leagues from time to time most of them are open for trading of some sort and so same things just could check all your boxes before you hit accept
3: yes that's <laughs> wise words
1: yeah and don't don't drink too much before you make before you go for that checkbox. there you, you go make yeah, some that's a good trades. one too <laughs> nice all right, that's going to finally wrap us up for episode 92. Will, let everybody know what you're back at Picture List. What yep. are you working on? What's, are you going to use any of these notes that we didn't get to and put out a new article based on that information so it doesn't go to waste?
3: I might have to. I might have to get the big boss to sign off on that. We'll see. But yeah, I'm I'm on the dynasty side now, so we're covering back spotlights right now. I'll come out with a Ricky Tiedemann highlight cover on his profile. He's going to be the next one of the next big studs. And then we're also we'll run through team by team our top fifteen backs. So that'll start coming out in the new year. I think I'm kicking us off with the, the Diamondbacks, so that should be fun. So. It's great to be back with you guys, teammates, and we got a good thing going on here. So I'm just looking forward to adding to it and seeing where we can take this thing.
1: Keep it rolling, yeah. Absolutely. We got a lot of good things happening at Pitcher List. We got mm-hmm. Will back. We got you got Chris Clegley. We talked about earlier. Yeah, leading that dynasty team. PitchCon's coming up next yeah. month. Looking forward to that. Hopefully, Will, Kevin, and I are talking about doing a live episode during PitchCon. Hopefully we can work that out and there time that properly. And so we will keep, and then of course, PL8, that'll be coming out either right after or during PitchCon. So we will look forward to all this the good stuff. Look for links to everything Will's working on, everything Kevin's working on and myself in the show notes here. And that's going to do it for episode 92 of On The Wire. We will be back throughout the off-season. Please continue to subscribe, share, review the podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow myself on the Twitter at 80Grade. That's all spelled out. Kevin is at Kevin. Of course, follow the show itself on The Wire pod. I'd like to once again thank our guest, Will Garofalo, for joining us. Follow him on the Twitter at WGarofalo2 on the Twitter. And after all that, I am Adam Howe on behalf of Kevin Hastings. Thanks for listening. We bid you goodbye.